the blast from our past network. Hi, this is Diane Franklin. I am the actress from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, Better Off Dead, and Last American Virgin, and you are listening to Podcasting After Dark. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Moon Trap, stars Walter Koenig, Bruce Campbell, and Lee Lombardi. Welcome to Podcasting After Dark. This week, we are asking the question, can you camp on the moon? This is our <laughs> moon trap review. I'm Corey. <laughs> and I'm Zach. And I'm going I'm to talk really fast through the whole episode, see? And I'm going to sound a little bit like Captain Kirk the entire time. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Uh, there are a couple Star Trek references in this movie for sure. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Gee, I wonder why. So, yeah, um, we are doing. <laughs> I was saying that the entire time I was watching this with uh, with our good buddy Diallo. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so you, you watched this one with Diallo. Good. I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, Moontrap, my man, came out Moontrap. in 1989, and uh, I'm, I am the quote-unquote advocate for this movie, and I will be <laughs> breaking it down and showrunning this episode for you guys. Um, I'll just uh, uh, give you a little quick background on it. Me and my buddy Luke, we were. Uh, this was a Fangoria movie. This was another movie that we saw in Fangoria magazine, and um, you know, so we already had a head start going into it. Eighty nine. That means I was, you know, probably about uh, eleven years old, I guess, which is just perfect age. We've talked about many a times that age bracket of like ten to twelve. Whenever you see a movie, they really stick with you. Uh, this one is kind of the outlier to to that, uh, and the only really funny anecdote I have about watching this movie for the first time was that we we kind of had a false start on it. Uh, Luke and I went to the video store specifically to find this movie. We got into the horror section. We did the whole divide and conquer because, you know, I don't know, you're, you're, you're 11 years old and you do stupid shit. We did the divide and conquer. You go this way, I'll go that way to go try to find it. And um, I glossed over it because I think the sticker was kind of on the AP on the trap. And for some reason, my mind filled in the gaps of thinking that the cover said Moon Train. And, you know, we weren't we weren't looking for Moon Train. So I glossed over it. Luke and I wound up, like, renting something else. And then when we went back the next day to return it, I think Luke found it and was like, wait, here it is. And I'm like, oh, that didn't say Moon Train. And he's like, fucking hell. So even to this day, Luke and I will say Moon Train instead and just, like, as, like, a sort of inside joke. But uh, that's really the only fond memory I have of this movie. Uh, Before Zach kind of delves into what he knows about it, I will say that this movie does check off a lot of boxes of things that I like. I like ancient alien concepts. I like, check. you know, space station on moon concepts. I like check, hollow check. moon theories, you know, check, check. check, check. I check. like aliens. <laughs> I like cyborgs, check, check, check. I like Bruce Campbell, check, 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 check. Uh, and yet, and yet, and yet, <laughs> we have 
Moontrap. So <laughs> and you like boobies Zach, my... and and you like boobies <laughs> and too. I like boobies. Yeah, I do like boobies. It has this movie has everything. It should be a classic. It should be should be in the operative word. So Zach, <laughs> what is your familiarity with Moontrap? Well, first of all, Moon Train sounds like <laughs> either a a former professional wrestler out of Dallas or b a drink uh, a cheap bottle of whiskey you'd find at a liquor store. <laughs> And so or I a like transformer both because I think there was a oh, transformer yeah. that transformed from a train into a space shuttle, and then yes. I think he was like called like space train or something stupid. Yeah, and you know what was really lame about that transformer? He was the same size uh, scale size as all the other transformers, maybe a little bit smaller. And then and then Transformers the movie comes out, and they all hop into the train that turns into a space shuttle. I'm like, wait, he should have been bigger. Should have been bigger, bro. Get on that house, bro, bro. I could do. I could do a whole podcast about uh, the scale of things and how, as a kid, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. play with certain toys or I couldn't mix and match toys because I am a, a staunch stickler to, to everything being scale. Me too, and dude, it's, me too. It's because my grandpa, growing up as a kid, uh, in his basement had one of those HO uh, train sets. That's the, oh, the yeah, sort cool. of the smaller kind, yeah. And he had, like, his whole, like, one part of his basement was, was this entire like to scale city train set with you know the cars the buildings the lights everything to scale and i used to play you know when i was a super uh, kid like you know five or so i'd be down there playing so ever since then man like everything's got to be to scale so i had a hard time like mixing and matching transformers with gi joes hell i had a hard time mixing and ma- matching transformers within transformers because of yeah, the me scale too. issue <laughs> me too dude <laughs> but on on that note my experience with the moon train, which I'll probably call it that now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember I, I could be off on this, but I uh, I remember Fangoria producing some independent horror films and having their own label, like the Fangoria, like full moon. But Fangoria was trying to get into that. And I feel like Moontrap was a part of that uh, two or three movies that they put out. And obviously having Bruce Campbell on it, featured prominently i was like "Ooh, i want to watch this because i thought it's got bruce campbell in it and then um i remember renting it from the video store with my brother eric and thinking yeah this is gonna be great i remember watching it quite a few times back in the day i think and 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 hindsight is always 2020 but reflecting back thinking actually i thought this movie was better than it is now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I watched it. With, I mean, <laughs> I watched. Yeah, I, I mean, watching it with Diallo recently, and and just a side note, because uh, Diallo, I, I wanted to, to let him know that in our prison episode, when he had said that he remembered Viggo Mortensen as Aragon, uh, he remembered Viggo Mortensen from the movie Daylight, the Sylvester Stallone movie. So I just wanted to let just clarify that. <laughs> but oh, yeah, uh, good, good. yeah, he he was like, oh, this is a movie you'd watch, you know, on a Saturday morning on. Uh, KBHK TV 44 in, in the Bay Area. And I'm like, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's just like an old school sci-fi movie. And I remember, again, yeah, liking it more back then than I definitely liked it now. But there's so much more to laugh at and joke about. So I can't wait to just dive into this moon trap, <laughs> cement dust, uh, you know, quick set concrete yeah. powder film. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like... 
a little, uh, uh, you know, inside baseball for you guys on the podcast, and I, we like talking about it mainly because I like hearing about it on other podcasts. I always like inside baseball sort of stuff, even if it's things I don't know anything about. I really enjoy it. So our inside baseball is that, you know, I noticed that we've been doing a lot of good movies lately, like Return of the Living <laughs> Dead. Everyone loves it. Um, you know, uh, uh, freaking The Thing, of course. Everyone loves it. It's a great movie, and we have a yeah. fun time talking about it, but sometimes it's more fun to talk about a shitty movie. So I actually watched Moon Train <laughs> a couple of years ago <laughs> when I bought the Blu-ray. I was like, the Blu-ray was like $5 on, on uh, Amazon, and I was like, oh yeah, Moon, Moon Trap. I hadn't seen this in f- for years, and I knew it was shitty like i watched it a couple years ago i was like oh oh, this is bad i was like this is not as good as i remember but i was like i'm still going to advocate for it because i think it's going to lend itself to a kind of a more of a mystery science theater 3000 vibe this episode and and that's what i was kind of hoping for because i was like you know what zach and i've been really keen on things lately i want to really kind of have fun with something shitty you know so we're we're hoping (laughs) that we can have you know more like a how did this get made sort of thing but um it there is i will say there are some things to love about this movie and like always we are not going to just turn this into a shit fest if there is something that's you know uh, uh you know something worth noting that's good we will point it out it, it might be few yeah. and far between but we'll mention it <laughs> well i we could talk about walter koning's push-ups those are pretty impressive, but we'll get to that later. Or or we can talk about Walter Koenig's hairy ape arms. Those are impressive, <laughs> too. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, it man. has begun. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. All right, bud. Well, let's uh, let's break down some of uh, – dude, the cast – There's not much to break here, down. <laughs> I know. The <laughs> only people that actually have IMDb pictures are the three leads. I have yes. never seen a movie on IMDb – with less care like less actor pictures on it it's insane to the point yeah, where i didn't know who was who other than like the the main leads you know what i mean like i was like i don't know what that character's name with because i didn't watch it with subtitles on it and i was like well i'm not going back it's not really worth it to, to know it didn't have it didn't have subtitles by the way i'm like you release oh. an anniversary edition blu-ray then anniversary edition uh and you don't include subtitles that's that's alienating a whole audience. <laughs> yeah, we had that issue before. Wasn't that um, the with Exterminator the, uh, or something? Yeah, with the... I was going to call it Executioner, and then, thanks for correcting me. <laughs> Dude, whatever that episode, it was the, I think it was the prison episode. You even called the Exterminator the Executioner in there, and I was editing I know, it, dude. and I was like, oh, I was like, oh my God, he really had that stuck in his brain. But, dude, I, I totally get it. I mean, Moon Train, I mean, come on, I, I get it. <laughs> you, There's many times just, on... Yeah, my brain freezes up and I just say something that and I just it just gets stuck in there like Roberto Glinty or something like that. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gentry. <laughs> Gentry, yeah. Uh, I I got to say man, uh the Blu-ray that I sent you, um it's pretty bare bones. There are two interviews on there, one with Bruce Campbell, one with uh Walter Koenig and uh I watched the Bruce Campbell one last night. It wasn't that insightful to be completely honest with you. There's not a lot on imdb i think that probably the biggest like did you know is that um the the moon's dust it was all just basically dry concrete and it was kind of like a big deal for them to try to replicate that which it 
that I mean that actually did look good. Uh, but Bruce Campbell does make the assessment that we're all probably going to have cancer in a few years because of inhaling, you know, dry concrete at the time. But yeah, there was uh, like was a no water a, on the set, right? No yeah, water. on Yeah, the there was set. apparently like no liquids uh, could be on that set whatsoever, uh, except it was weird because their faces were sweating like motherfuckers under those helmets. So. <laughs> But yeah, there there wasn't oh, much. To, there's not much uh, on this movie, to be honest with you. Um, Bruce Campbell, just you know, at the top, I'll just say he does, you know, talk about the fact that like it's not easy to make a low budget sci fi movie, and in that regard, I do think that they pulled off the best that they could possibly pull off with the budget that this movie had. And, you know, it's, it's easy to shoot a movie of two guys talking at a dinner table, you know, for, for $5 million. It's not easy to shoot like a, a full on sci-fi movie that goes to the, the moon, you know, for, for a low budget like this. So I, I, I got to give him props for that at the very least. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give quite a bit of props throughout this thing because, uh, because there are a lot of positives, in my opinion. It's just for me, my my biggest kind of complaint is the is the um, is the, the 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 plot and and the and or lack of you know or lack yeah. of story that the movie the movie has the movie is definitely this up and down kind of travel where you're at one minute you're like oh this is a really cool concept and well wait what just happened what, what, what about that what about this Special effects look really good for a sci- uh, for a low budget movie, really which, good. Which makes sense because the director is um, he was the special effects like coordinator on um, uh, Evil Dead Two, Robert Dyke, and he oh, okay. and, and and that's also how Bruce Campbell got the job because uh, he Bruce Campbell saying that you know obviously he worked on Evil Dead Two, but because or he worked on Evil Dead One and Two, and because Evil Dead One took so long to make, like you know four years to to essentially create, they all had to have different jobs during that time. And Bruce Campbell talks about how he actually worked for Robert Dyke as a production assistant during that time. And he uh, was kind of like a big commercial director. That was kind of like his claim to fame. And this was his first mainstream movie. And you got to give him props. He he made a movie. You know what I mean? Like he made an ambitious film for a very small budget. And I keep uh, being kind of cryptic about the budget because it's not um, listed on Wikipedia. I can't find out what the budget is. But I think it was under 10 mil. uh, So this is like a... A, a tough turf situation where there's not a lot of fun facts, uh, but yeah. it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, and the only other sort of thing like Walter Koenig, he was. He was attached to the project before they even got, like, funding for it. So, you know, I, I don't know if he would have agreed to do it sort of after, but he, I think he was attached early on as sort of the, the main star uh, of the film, the action well, hero star that is 80 years old. Yeah, let, let, let's say let, – let's just say for the record, you know, if, if, if you're an actor and you're known – primarily for playing a very mousy um te- uh, kind of tech nerd guy on a on a series and and that's who you're just known as your entire life and suddenly someone says to you hey do you a do you want to be the star of a movie b do you want to be a hero c do you kind of want to be a badass then 
that's kind of a slam dunk. Why wouldn't you want to take a role like that? I, I, yeah. you know, I just a like a quick name drop. There's an actor named Richard Horvitz who is best known for. Uh, in the '80s world, best known as playing this nerd in the Mark Harmon film *Summer School*. Uh, then later on, he became prominent as the voice of Invader Zim on the cartoon *Invader Zim*. Mm. And yeah. so, but he talked about when he was when he was starting on in Hollywood, every role he could get would but was for that nerdy character. And suddenly, he's like, "I don't want to play that character anymore." And then he couldn't get a job outside of playing that nerdy character. So I look at like Walter Koenig and I think, yeah, he's Chekhov in Star Trek and that's what he's known for. That's all he's known for pretty much. Yeah. And then of course, like I don't blame the guy. In fact, you know, how awesome is that, that he got to be this, you know, John McClane kind of every man. I'm just going to kick some ass. Yeah. And, and, but not does, <laughs> like, like I, I, I find him to be comical in the movie only because he's not right for the role, but he's, no. he does a fine job acting. And I got to say, you can tell he's having a good time doing it. And so I think we, we've talked about that before. I think that does sort of lend itself to, to making the movie more enjoyable when you can actually feel the energy coming off the screen of the person. I'm not saying like it was like this amazing chemistry or something, but no, you can tell no. that he's having he's having fun. And that's and you know what? At the end of the day. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Sure, his face looks like looks like a, a two dollar hooker because they kick on so much makeup to kind of like keep his wrinkles down, dude. Like his face has so much makeup on that it's a different color than his skin. Yeah, and, yeah and dude. You I was... know, you know, if they filmed it now, they would just do that de aging Gaussian blur thing that they do that filter that they do now. But they didn't have that back in '89, so they just had no. to to cake on the geisha face paint, basically. <laughs> Got the geisha. I will say, I will say, the HD uh, Blu-ray did not do him any favors <laughs> in revealing. It is not kind to him. <laughs> no, it, and and I thought, yeah, I, I may not have felt the uh, the 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 ex- exusion of exusion exusion of manliness coming across the screen, the manliness of a man. But uh, I definitely felt like I had makeup on my face after the movie was over. I looked over at Diallo. Yeah. I'm like, do I have? Do I have some of his powder? Did that just come through the screen? Is this is this five K? Is this a five K movie? Um, yeah, exactly, dude. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Walter Koenig, he was Chekhov in Star Trek. That's pretty much all you got for him. I mean, he's done Darn. a bunch of other stuff, but that's what we all know him from. Uh, the the second his second in command. Uh, so so Walter Koenig plays Grant. His second in command, Tanner is played by Bruce Campbell, a very young Bruce Campbell. And just to let you all know where this movie falls in his uh, repertoire of films, this is way before Army of Darkness. This is way before a personal favorite of mine, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Uh, This is way before Waxworks 2. So basically... <laughs> he he filmed this after Maniac Cop. So this came after Maniac Cop and uh before Maniac Cop 2 and I forgot that he was in Darkman as well. So yeah, yeah it's, he was it's in Darkman. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I dude, I'm literally just going through his uh his as IMDb and I'm like, "Damn, I forgot Bruce Campbell was in a lot of stuff other than Evil Dead." I think his I think his sideburns forgot to show up in this movie too, by the way. Right? What was up with that? What was so up with that I, weird I, si- sideburnless haircut? <laughs> yeah, apparently there was a there was a 
I don't know if that was a trend back in the day, but to have really high sideburns that, that went to your ear line. But this looked even higher. And because his hair is so thick and black and manly, it uh, looked like he was wearing a tube. Yeah, John Philbin had the same sort of lack of sideburns on Return of the Living Dead Part 1, where it's like <laughs> you shave all the way up uh, to your, your scalp, essentially, or something, like by your ears. Oof. And yeah, I, I, the Bruce Campbell thing, I was like, that looks really weird, especially since he's kind of like always sort of has sideburns a little bit. Well, and and I mean, you just you need you need sideburns. It's like having a car without <laughs> you <need a> little <laughs> something. <laughs> you need some little little something on there. It's not, it's not like you're shaving your cooch. But uh, yeah. you know, I was gonna say too. <laughs> I was gonna say too that that uh, yeah, the lack of sideburns really disturbed me. And yeah, it's uh, disturbing. It, it, it really and and oh, and and apparently in space you can grow facial hair. Uh, when you were up, you know, up in space for several weeks, but you can't grow sideburns because he still had like <laughs> hairless sideburns. But I was yeah, wondering if like an yeah. accident happened. <laughs> uh, good, good point. That's a good point. I was also equally disturbed by their facial hair that apparently grew in like one day. <laughs> oh, and and I just also want to point out that uh, you know putting fake facial hair on someone to make it look like real facial hair. Looks like you just glued pubes to your face. I'm just saying. Yeah. Don't ever do that. Never a good look. Filmmakers. Never a good look. Not a good look. Not a good look. No, no. Uh, We'll get to that at the end of the movie. (laughs) We'll get to that when we get there. (laughs) Uh, The third person to have any kind of a picture on IMDb and sort of the third lead is uh, Lee Lombardi, and she played Mira, and there's not much else that she's been in. I mean – she has, but I don't really know her from it. So, like, I mean, she's been Night Rider, but like as like a an episode. She's been on. Come on, like, she Blue was in Thunder. She was she was the stewardess in Murphy's Law. I've never seen Murphy's Law. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, okay, exactly. <laughs> I thought and, I thought that I, was going to be something you were going to be like. That's another podcasting after dark movie. <laughs> no, no, it, it's it's an, that's another uh, Charlie Bronson Cannon vehicle, but. Uh, she, no relation to Vince Lombardi either, probably, right? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. The third, or I'm sorry, the fourth and final picture that we have on IMDb <laughs> is Tom Case, who played Beck, who was the orbiter um, guy who was in the orbiter flyer thing and uh, arguably the worst actor I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just going to say, too, uh, it, you know, and and this is not a knock to anybody, but but if if you if you're a current actor, you would want to put. And I understand that maybe you haven't aged well, but don't put your 17 year old photo of yourself as your IMDb profile photo. It, it just doesn't 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 do anything for you. Yeah. So I'm I, I, full disclosure. I'm not 100% sure that that's the same guy because with no <laughs> subtitles, with no subtitles, they only mention his name once at the beginning, and then they refer to him as by his first name. But then on IMDb, they only have him credited as his last name. So I think that picture there is uh, George Beck or whatever because Walter kept saying, George, you know, when he crashes into the moon. But anyways, yeah. you know what? really doesn't fucking matter. The guy on the Orbiter was a terrible actor. It was apps. He's the worst, and he we think... I think he's the fourth actor on this IMDb credit list that actually has a picture. Guys, this movie's something else. So, <laughs> it's, you know what though? I'm going to put it out there right now because you're probably listening to this and going, "Oh shit, what am I about to get myself into?" Trust me, this is this is a great this this is a great party movie. 
This is a great like uh, goof your ass off, you know, oh, my God, watch this movie drunk or what with your homies or, you know, like it's one of those kind of movies. So just just just, you know, turn your volume up a little bit and get ready for some fun, fun times with Moon Train, Moon Train Track. Yeah, come, tra- come on, Moon Train. Come on. Toot <laughs> toot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything you said, I I agree with. And I figured that if you haven't seen this movie, it's worth seeing just for Bruce Campbell alone. And even more so for his death scene, because it is the most overacted I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. 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 Diallo at one point was like, oh, I, I didn't. I'm assuming that's internal bleeding. That's going on there? Yeah, yeah. What's that? Uh, What's happening? I, but, uh, yeah, and, and, uh, and you know, this was – I'm not going to lie. I love Bruce Campbell. I absolutely do. But I can see a little bit as to why he, he – he's Bruce Campbell playing Bruce Campbell. Like, he's being him. Yeah. He's kind of playing himself. And it's a little, like, hammy, you know, when maybe – and I feel like Walter Koenig really tried to bring a level of, like – acting to his role and i thought man you kind of you don't need to do that with this kind of movie like i felt like you, if you ham it up a little bit more like bruce campbell does uh instead of trying to be this guy who talks a little bit like you know captain kirk and with a with a new york accent like what's going on here it was like just, just don't just just have fun have fun like bruce campbell did well, that's that's on. I think that's on the director. He either should have told, yes. you know, Walter Koenig to bring it up, or told Bruce Campbell to bring it down. And uh, we don't, you know, we don't know why. They, but yeah, they are definitely not on the same level as far as acting goes. And I don't mean like like quality. I just mean that the style that they're bringing to the table is is a little bit off kilter. But maybe yeah. that's a part of the charm, though, and and that is a part of the the fun of this movie. So, um, yeah. It's 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 interesting. And Walter Koenig's accent in this movie was interesting. And then his impossibly yeah. white and blonde son was an interesting <laughs> casting choice as well. So, all right, let's pull a little IMDb quote here about the synopsis of a moon trap, a.k.a. moon train. <laughs> the, the space shuttle returns to Earth, but some of the equipment brought back on it begins to behave strangely. Scientists are unsure what is happening and decide to take all necessary precautions. That is the worst synopsis that I have ever heard of a movie and is completely wrong. <laughs> to quote yes. to quote Lu- uh, Luke Skywalker in Last Jedi, everything you said there is absolutely totally wrong. So I botched <laughs> that quote, but that's okay. You get the point. <laughs> I botch shit all the time and I'm like, no, but you get the point. You get the point. You get the point. It's okay. You get the point. So everything is wrong there. Oh, well, what are you going to do? It's IMDb. It's Moon Train. Who cares, right? They're well, just I, like, I feel like it. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I feel like if you watch the first 15 minutes of this movie, you'd, you'd say, oh, I know what this movie's about. And then about 20 minutes in, you go, wait, are we starting the movie over? Is this where the movie actually started technically? And they just tagged <laughs> on this other stuff in the beginning for Fluffer? But, well, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Speaking, speaking of fluffing, yeah, the the opening is definitely padded for sure Ooh. by about like five minutes or so, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that right now. Ship composition unknown. Probable origin: Earth's moon. The crew of the space shuttle Camelot has just brought back a little present from the moon. Organic remains human. He's 14,000 years old. Tissue reconstruction. And now it is free again. 
to seek. There's something in the corridor. To hunt. Something huge. Keep it together. Keep it together. To kill. We want to establish contact. And Caesar, give us a sign. Get the son of a... Out of the darkness. What the hell have we got here, Jason? It called him to set it free. A base. And we're being invited in. Argo team, do you read me? Please respond. She's alive. Seems like they never learn. In outer space, on the outer limits, one man from our time, one woman from another. We're in their ship. That's what we are. Spare parts. Together, they must face the ultimate challenge. Moontrap. The wait is over. Starring Star Trek's Walter Koenig and Evil Dead's Bruce Campbell. Basically, the movie starts with a title card saying July 20th, 1969, and it opens with the famous footage of the lunar lander landing on the moon, uh, and then they have like the shot of Neil Armstrong going down the, the little ladder doing his famous speech, One Small Step for Man, yada, 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 but they... They, like, show the full thing. I mean, it's like three minutes of this archival footage that they're showing. And they yeah. – what the whole point of it is is that you see the footage and then you see this little snake eyeball thing from under the or sand kind of, like, popping up and watching them with an eyeball. And you see the robotic eye kind of watching them. It's kind of got, like, a digital thing that you sort of see through its eye sort of thing. And then the lunar, like, lander takes off and it's, like, watching that. And all this – Kind of like it plays in later to the film because the aliens are kind of waiting for us to come back so they can use us to get to basically to get back to Earth. But the the thing that's kind of I wish they did in in this movie was they show the the scene of the little eyeball thing kind of popping out of the sand. I wish they kind of tried to make that footage look like the old 1969 footage instead of like, here's the footage from an old camera. And then all of a sudden we're going to intercut with what would be like actual shot of the the world the the moon so i was like oh that was a little jarring i thought and i think it would have been more fun if the footage of the alien was in the same old style footage of that lunar landing totally agree it it, it was it was like watching uh it's like flipping channels basically going from one thing to another and you're like wait a minute uh Am I watching the same movie right now? I mean, I understand it's hard, maybe harder to do back then than it is now because it's just. Now whatever. you just put a, a filter on it, like some kind of filter on Premiere, yeah. and then boom, it looks like old grainy footage. Yeah, every. I mean, everybody and their mother can make a movie nowadays, uh, and, it, and it, it can make it look amazing. But back then, you had to work pretty hard to make it look amazing. Yeah, this was like. This is went on way too long. Uh, I was like, okay, yeah, 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 we get, we get the point. They, they should have just cut. I understand. 
here's my other thing too. I get like why movies are supposed to be 90 minutes at least, but take a playbook out of full moon entertainment and make the movie 76 minutes and just have it be like, you know, have it be quick and easy and done back in the day. They, they, the old school, like 1940s action movies were like 80 minutes long. You know, it doesn't have to be 90, 90 was like this prerequisite in the eighties. Like everything had to be 90 minutes or uh, an hour 40 I'm like no just let it be let it just let it be 76 chop all the fat off yeah I completely agree with you and this movie was like a crisp 90 minutes in like 37 <laughs> seconds like they they you can tell that they you know extended the credits as far as they could they probably added a couple extra seconds to this opening just so they could make it to an hour and a half like exactly yeah, I was like, yeah you can see it at the beginning here where they I mean I get it they're setting the tone but yeah I think this movie would have definitely served as being a little bit quicker editing and tightening the ship up a little bit you would it would might have been a little bit more fun but yeah we we have what we have so we now cut to that was like the cold open we now cut to like today so it's it's you know current current 1989 but today and uh it opens with grant who's walter koenig uh and tanner they're kind of like uh, who's bruce campbell they're on a space shuttle and it has this conversation between Grant, Walter Koenig's character, and Houston. And it's kind of setting the tone where Grant is kind of like a little bit of an older space shuttle pilot, an older astronaut. And, you know, he's setting the tone that this is all kind of mundane and routine. And he even calls out the fact that, like, you know, man, when did going to space become, like, boring, essentially? And they're kind of diving into the whole... You know, like space trucker th- idea that kind of got popular after Alien. Uh, that that like you know when we go into space, it's all just going to be truckers and and mundane things. I think even like didn't like Clint Eastwood and and uh, Tommy Lee Jones put out a movie called like Space Truckers or something back in the they, day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was similar premise where you're just flying into space. Or but it's so funny in that that line of dialogue that they're having back and forth because. It's it's almost like uh, it just feels very like a guy you're forced like he's got nobody else to talk to so he's he could he could have been talking to himself <laughs> you know it's this whole 1920s like what's going on yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm and, too old for this <laughs> shit <laughs> and an insult to injury they have they even have like a Star Trek reference where Grant is like pretending to be Captain Kirk talking you know all grandiose about you know mundane things that's the yeah. joke but they're playing Star Trek movie he even says like Captain's Log and uh, it's it's a full swing and I don't know maybe it connected to somebody but they're doing full on Star Trek reference here and I guess I guess you gotta just right out of the gate be like okay guys we get it he's he's you know check off let's just get this out of the way and you know I don't think that they needed it but no. I guess sure sure why not and then you next know what it reminded me of it, it mm. reminded me of when I was a kid and I would I would try to play baseball because I'm I'm athletically i'm terrible at pretty much every sport except for running and uh and i would i would get ready to swing the bat at the ball and like the bat would just fly out of my hand sometimes you know and i'd like almost do a spin as i'm trying to hit them that's what it reminded me of like that that you just totally failed that that did not that did not that was not funny (laughs) captain hey swing and a miss (laughs) and you're out and you're you got gravel in your shorts so 
Exactly. <laughs> uh, you do. You have your your typical, you know, setting up your banter between the two characters between Grant and Tanner. You find out that they were ex, you know, fighter pilots and uh, Grant's a little bit older. So I think he was like a fighter pilot in Vietnam. And then Tanner, Bruce Campbell's character is younger. So he's like the hot, you know, hot shot upcoming pilot type of thing. And, you know, he was like in Kuwait and stuff like that. But, you know, they're both like ex fighter pilots and they talk about what their call signs were. You find out Grant's was Einstein. And then you find out Tanner's was called the penetrator because he would go so deep into enemy territories. And of course, Grant laughs at that. There's, I think there's some fun little banter in this little opening scene. I think it does a serviceable job setting up the two characters. And I think it's, you know, I think they both do a fine job working off of one of one each other. Even though, like we said, you know, Bruce Campbell plays it a little bit more fast and loose, where you know, with his acting, whereas Walter Koenig definitely tries to to keep it more grounded. I think. Yeah, and it it, it establishes a good relationship between the two of them, and they come across as being buddies. Um, and they're both they're both well trained actors. And they're good at what they do. (laughs) (laughs) So so much so that, like, Bruce Campbell did a great job pretending that he was asleep in zero gravity. Because he even did, like, a little, like, floaty motion to himself, you know, when when, when Walter Koenig was next to him. And I was like, you know what? Good good job, Bruce. I see what you're doing there with your eyes closed, moving your body around just a little bit. And I applaud you for that. Because you definitely (laughs) tried to sell it that you're in zero G. Yeah. But it's great. It's great. So they're up there for something routine, like doing, you know, picking up a satellite, something stupid. But they see something on their radar that's basically huge. It's like a quarter of a mile long. And, you know, Houston sees it, too. And they scan it. And it you can see the scanning readout on this computer screen. And, of course, it looks like an alien spaceship. Like, there's no doubt about it. It's like, okay, oh, that's crazy. Okay, we found an alien spaceship up here. And it's like a derelict ship essentially floating in some kind of weird elliptical orbit. And that's why Houston never picked up on it. This is another real-world conspiracy thing that I enjoy, which is the Black Knight satellite. Have you ever heard about that? No. Okay. Uh Zach and everybody else, you can go and Google this, but it, it's uh, there's this thing in, in our orbit called the Black Knight Satellite, and you know they've judged that it's been there for you know millions of years or something like that, thousands of years. They don't know what it is, and it's big, and it's basically circling the Earth like a satellite. But we didn't put it up there, so and if it's so old. Who did? And we've never gotten like close enough to actually see it. So, the, of course, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories uh, out wow. there for that. But that the Black Knight satellite's been around long enough that I can tell that the writer of this movie, who we didn't um, mention earlier. Oh, do we need to? <laughs> I'm just because I'm talking about <laughs> no, it now. Because yeah, he, uh, he, he made the sequel. He, made, he wrote the sequel. Yeah, too. yeah. T- uh, Tex Ragsdale. Uh, you can just tell that he's into these you know what 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 now would be like an ancient aliens episode you know like they did of course ancient aliens on history channel did a whole episode on the black knight satellite and it just seems like uh this this writer back in 89 he was really into all of this stuff hollow moon ancient astronaut theories yada 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 and so was i so that's why this kind of like this is one of the things that i actually enjoy about it is this mystery of what is this derelict ship you know in space Okay. Um, I can dig that. It yeah. remi- reminded me a little bit of 
Life Force, uh, yes. the opening. And later on, uh, Diallo pointed out rem- this movie reminds him of Independence Day a little bit too, uh, mm-hmm. ID4. And so, yeah. You know. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I really think that there was a strong Life Force inf- influence on this movie. And then oh, conversely, time. I think this movie might have had just a smidge of influence going forward. I, I do truly believe this might be a cult classic, although I really don't hear anyone ever talk about this movie online. So, hey, maybe we'll be, boost the signal a little bit of it. Look, I yeah, think everybody. I, think I everybody, love Zach's reaction. Zach's reaction in the screen was just like a shrug. <laughs> yeah, I Wop. mean, I was shrugging it the whole time. I, I clear. I totally understand why you chose this movie, and 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 I again remember it fondly when I, from my childhood. I, here's the thing, like about shitting on a movie or like maybe pissing on it is a little bit nicer. Uh, like, there's not. You gotta look at these things and be like. Yeah, that wasn't a good choice. Or, like, if you're a part of this movie, you know, someone listening to this and like, hey, check out, hey, Tex, guess what, man? They just reviewed your movie, Moontrap, back uh, that you made back in 1989. Oh, shit, I better give that a listen to. And then he's listening to it and going, wow, this shit not my movie now, you know? And we're not, <laughs> look, you got to look at it and go, it's, it, these things happen, you know? I, I, being a musician, some of the music I've made back in the day, it's not really good, and I understand. And so, <laughs> if someone wants to goof on it a little bit, you got you got to take a punch. You got to take a punch every now and then. So, text if you're listening to this. Mad props to you to getting your movie made, but come on, man! Like there's some really weak ass dialogue in there too. Come on, come on, text. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that, that scene goes on dialogue. way too long. I'm like, Jesus! I understand you're sitting there in your cockpit and you got to like establish a relationship. Going on way too long. So when the when the alien ship shows up, you're like, yay, action! Yeah, like yeah, some action. But like on the flip side of that coin, the set designer did a great mm. job making the inside of the space shuttle look like the the space shuttle, or at least you know from what we understand it. I was like, th- this movie excels in little tiny ways that you know I think that you know some people just really did their job on this movie. And you know I, I don't know if we've ever actually come out and say it, but you know it, it's a general rule of thumb. No one ever sets out to make a bad movie. That's never anyone's no. intention. And, yeah, this will be the only caveat because we'll, we'll move forward with just shitting on it wherever we feel like shitting on it <laughs> yeah. and, and praising it wherever we feel like praising it. But let's just get it again out of the way and just say they they made a sci-fi, a hard sci-fi movie for a shoestring budget, and that is impressive unto itself. When, and, when they, and, and, and when they cut back to uh... – so let's just get into the shitting on it because that's so much fun. When we get <laughs> yeah. back to when we get when they cut to Houston, first of all, oh, it Houston. looks a little it looks it, it looks like a set, but it was like a nu- nuclear reactor uh, in Michigan that they filmed that in. But um, there, there's a off to the far right. I don't know if you noticed, but there's like one of the women of the ground crew looks like she's straight out of little house on a prairie. She's wearing like this old ass <laughs> farm <it>. dress. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that's a little, and she's just kind of, she has her hands behind her back and she's just like patiently watching. And every shot they have of Houston of the whole group, she's doing the exact same pose. And I'm like, this is really odd. Did they, did they let, you know, 
someone's but, mom on set for the night or day or whatever. what if what if she's actually like an amish ghost and they, they never knew she was actually there <laughs> like three men like well, three men and a baby or something yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well and and i'll mention it later but the the lady that when the creature finally breaks out in houston you know whenever that lady that finds the the room destroyed yes. like she looked like a stewardess i was like what yes. is up with her outfit so yeah we'll talk about some of the weirdness uh when yeah. we get to it but yeah houston Houston, the control room itself looked looked it looked cool like you could tell that it was a big space and everything but when they pulled back to show you the screen at the top you could te- definitely tell that it was like a small tubed monitor that they blew up to make it look like a giant like projection screen but yet you yeah. could tell it was like a, a tubed monitor that they just like inserted in there ah uh, they tried <laughs> so you know so like obviously we have some some dialogue about the fact that you know the the ship's going to break up into orbit so there's a there's a ticking clock on to go investigate uh grant walter koenig says i'm gonna go do it they're all like no you're the senior you know captain of this thing it should be tanner and we find out grant's like i missed out on the moon you know all this crazy shit in the 60s and it's like the underlying current of his character the main motivation of his character throughout this entire movie is that he was too young in 69 to do the spacewalk and now he's too old in the 80s you know to kind of have done the any other space stuff or whatever so he's like no i'm gonna do this that's that's always always his motivation for his character in this film is that i'm too old but i'm still gonna do it because i missed it before i respect that it's good it's good uh backstory yeah exactly exactly and uh, so he basically Grant volunteers to do the spacewalk. He, he goes out very much, very similar to Life Force, but but dramatically, you know, less effective than Life Force. If anything, this movie makes Life Force look better. So you know, maybe watch this first and then Life Force, and then you can be like, whoa, that, those special effects were fantastic. Yeah, on, if you're on a space kick. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, if you're on a space kick, watch those, but watch this one first because it'll be a good primer <laughs> for that. And then um, watch and the, if, watch this, and then watch hardware after to see the difference between uh, like robots, yes, infusing infusing human body parts. Yes, yes, good point, very good point. <laughs> um, Grant uh, goes up to the ship. There's a hole like in the side of it. And he sees, like, some hieroglyphics on it. So, of course, he's like, oh, there's some, some unknown hieroglyphic writing that I don't know anything about. Well, of course you don't. It's, it's a spaceship. Why would you ever know what yeah. that was? But, okay, sure. And, uh, I've never seen this so before. You, this is amazing. Yeah. What, what's going yeah. on here? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's exactly. Wouldn't it be funny if it was some kind of, like, hieroglyphic writing on there that you actually can understand? It's like, well, that makes no sense. <laughs> Klatu Brata Niktu. I've seen exactly. that <laughs> exactly um so grant <laughs> finds this like metal egg that's sort of like embedded in the hole you know you can tell it's not supposed to be there but it's right by the explosion and as he kind of grabs it this decayed body kind of floats up next to him and he turns around and he's like uh you know i like that he didn't scream you know because he is like a trained uh astronaut you know so you think that he would have the training to to keep his shit together so i'm kind of happy that they didn't do that but i will say that they did a good job with the um the de- decomposed body i thought he looked well done yeah t- no totally well i mean i i i the, the abs i agree with you on that he looked awesome um uh, 
And as you know, in space, no one can hear you scream. So what's the point? Yeah, I was like so excited to jump in and say that. But uh, but also the egg. I was like, why does this egg look familiar? Right. This orangish reddish egg. I'm like, why? That like, looks so damn familiar. Well, there's like a barbecue uh, thing called the egg. I think it's called the egg. <laughs> And it looks just like that. Like, the, I think you stick it in the ground or something. It's kind of like, you know, the Hawaiian style where they barbecue. Yeah. But it's it's a, a, a way of barbecuing. It, it looks just like that egg. And I'm like, oh, that's what. Oh, oh, that's cool. Wouldn't it be funny if the person who actually invented and designed that barbecue was actually a Moontrap fan? And he's like, I'm going to just, I'm going to insert Moontrap into, into the pop culture. <laughs> the it's probably text. Probably Tex. It's probably Tex. It. It's his side gig. It's creating that barbecue. I took my money from Moontrap and I made an egg. Barbecue right. egg. And then he took his Moontrap money, made the barbecue egg, and then he took the barbecue money and made the Moontrap sequel that came out in 2015, which I have not seen. Nor will you ever, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just put that out there, guys. There is a sequel to this movie. I think it takes I think it's Mira's story. I think it takes place before based on the trailer that I've seen. It looks like it it takes place in the past and maybe it's a prequel. But um, yeah, I don't think I'll ever see it. (laughs) Not going to lie to you. I'm I'm impressed that they got it made. Hands off. Yeah, me too. And props to them for that. And it does look like the budget does look a little better, but I'm sure it's still garbage. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice, though, because they don't do a lot of, um, you know, shots of like them trying to get the egg back into the ship. No, it's just it immediately cuts to the space shuttle landing on Earth. And it's like, OK, that's all you need to know. They're back on Earth now. It's like, you know what? That's that's good. Good for them. Good filmmaking right there. It's very and, jarring. Uh, we, no, you're like, whoa, yeah, well, shit. OK, we're back on the Earth now. OK, sure. Yeah, but it's it's definitely very economical in, in how to make a low budget film, you know, sure. and it's yeah, good for them. Um, you're in a lab now and, uh, Grant and Tanner and a bunch of other scientists and other like NASA people are all like on the other side of the the screen at like a quarantine type of screen and inside a little room, almost exactly like, you know, life force, uh, we have the egg and right next to the egg is the body. So they bought, they brought the body back and they brought the egg back. And of course they're discussing what's going on and you find out that the dead body is 14,000 years old. So they basically are talking about the fact that these astronauts are are ancient astronauts, which is awesome. I, I like that. Right out of the gate, you know, I dig that. And um, I would have liked to talk- I, I would have liked it if they said there was a 14-year-old body. <laughs> it's like <laughs> How old is he? 14,000? No, he's 14 years old. It's just 14. That's it. He was happy. He died yesterday. He was just 14. Uh, but of course, have you like, seen explorers? Create... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They got out. Yeah. That's uh, that's Corey Haim. Or wait, was it Corey? Uh, no, who Ethan, was that in there? Ethan River Hawk Phoenix, and, right? Ethan, River Phoenix and Ethan Hawk and Rando. Yeah. Ra- Rando yeah it's, it's Ethan Hawk. He's dead. <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, good, buddy. We we brought that joke around. I was like, "Where's this going?" Fourteen year old body. Yeah, we, we made it work. Yeah, we brought it back. Is that to the, the perf? Explorers. No, no, <laughs> no. There's just an explorers joke in there. Yeah, <laughs> we got there. Come on. Uh, there's some <laughs> funny, not funny. It's it's. There's a lot of banter back and forth between this group of scientists 
And the scene plays out over, or I should say the conversation plays out over the course of multiple scenes, but I found this to be interesting. It's all padding and fluff. All it yes. is is a debate on whether they should NASA should spend the resources to go to the moon or not. And yeah. Walter Koenig, you know, Grant and Tanner and and like a couple other scientists are making the case that they should. And this like this um uh, he's like a, a he's not a part of NASA, but you know he's like the the go between the White House and NASA type of thing. And they're trying to convince him basically to to get the budget. But I was like I didn't track any of the conversation because it's all the same conversation over the course of like like eight minutes of dialogue. And I'm like, yeah. wow, that's that's it's all pointless. It's all just padding. And as far as like writing goes, it's bad writing because it doesn't really push anything forward other than this one main conversation. But I don't know. It's, I just found that to be kind of funny. I was like, oh, I don't need to track any of this conversation when they get on the elevator and stuff. Because no, it's all it, the same shit. They just keep talking about the same shit in circles. Yeah, it, this was like so much padding and so inconsequential. And this, yeah, this is the point where I, I put my pen down. I stopped taking notes because I'm like, oh, we don't need to know any of this. <laughs> yeah, because that's not, they, that's they said it good. right away. Yeah, they, they said it right away at the beginning. They said, you know, they, they told you everything you needed to know in like that first conversation when they're in the lab. And then everything yeah. else is just an extension of that as padding, as character, sort of character development padding. Yeah, it's just yeah. I was like, okay, this is this is okay. We're we're okay. We're done. We're done. We don't yeah. need to keep going with this. So of course they break for coffee. <laughs> They're like, well, let's go get some coffee <laughs> because you know you got to get them out of the room while oh they discuss God, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, just kept going. <laughs> Yeah, let's keep talking about this later, and we're going to film it too, so don't worry. You won't, you guys won't miss a beat of this dialogue that is pointless at this point. Um, so, of course, while they're out of the room, the egg sort of, like, wakes up, and it opens itself up and has that same eyeball thing that you'll see throughout the course of the movie, which I, I think it's cool. It's a cool little yeah. design. I like the way all the alien stuff looks in this. I think it cool all robot. looks pretty neat. It's, yep. it's a cool robot, and... Uh, moving forward, just we'll take mention that I do like the fact that all of the robots have the egg for a head or something. So yep. there's like consistency to it. There's logic to it, and I think like the the monsters and the aliens. That's where you can tell the writer really put the thought into things and like, okay, how is this going to work? And and this human conversation stuff is all just fluff f- filler for them to get to the moon to the real yep. interesting things. And so, of course, while the the people are out of the room, the robot, like, lets out some kind of, like, high-pitched squeal. It breaks the windows. And then you see the computer monitor start, you know, you can tell that it's accessing the computer monitor. And thus, you get more sort of backstory. On the computer monitor, you see a visualization of the decomposed, like, 14,000-year-old, 14-year-old, <laughs> uh, you know, like... <laughs> Basically, like it reconstructs the person to what they would look like back then. Then it that also cool. somehow re- that was cool, and then it reconstructs what the spacesuit looks like, which I applaud again the designer because yes, I have I seen that spacesuit on ancient aliens, like showing like what ancient astronauts would look like, and it kind of looks like that. And I, that's what I'm saying. They they were tuned into that stuff back then. Like, yeah, I was, uh, he, yeah. the, the writer and the artist and everybody, they were tuned into it. That, tuned into that, definitely, quite possibly also tuned into Marty McFly's spacesuit he wore in Back to the Future to scare the <laughs> shit out of his father. 
because it looked I'm like, wait, is he gonna pop in a Van Halen nineteen eighty four cassette and you know <laughs> rock out? Yeah. It, it looked a little bit like that too. It's really cool though, and and the and that kind of old school computer animation that they use reminded me of like the late eighties, early nineties arcade games where yeah. uh it just it really was badass. I'm like, okay, I want more of this. I could have seen yeah a five minute scene of them constructing the bodies. That would have been cool. But yeah. you know, instead we get Bruce Campbell showing off his coffee fucking skills with the <laughs> vending machine. I'm like, what the, what the, what, why are we watching this? What is the point of this? Fluffer, yeah. fluffer. <laughs> now oh, we text. do, it, it, it also does uh, show us that the ship, its point of origin was the moon. So now, you know, we know that this human actually came from the moon, which is, of course, interesting because that human being 14,000 years old. And so, of course, and of course, during all of this, it shorts out the electricity, you know, and it makes all the lights flicker. And then we cut to the elevator and the lights, you know, kind of flicker there. And I think, you know, Bruce Campbell says something like government contractors, which, of course, is a, is a line of dialogue that comes back later. But the, again, another whole conversation on the elevator that just lasts way too long. And for some reason, the music in there, because of the sound, I think, of the fluorescent elevator lights or something, like had a weird yeah. background noise to that scene. I didn't yeah. quite understand why they didn't just ADR it or something. Um, yeah. But Grant, Grant, again, they're still debating the validity of the find. You know, like like the, the, the that guy who works for the white house not for nasa he thinks that they're that they're faking it like he thinks that they're faking it to get a for nasa to get a bigger budget or something which i think that was kind of like the zeitgeist back in the 80s it's like oh you just want a bigger government funding so you're just gonna like fake this thing i guess i I don't know but i was like sure yeah it was it was a weird exchange back and forth i'm just like this this is again fluffer yeah it's it's all just fluff yeah and then and then the old guy the old like scientist professor guy right with the gray hair and the beard yeah with the beard yeah yeah he looks just he looked just like the old guy in they live who's transmitting Mm -hmm. the but uh he and this guy he had this guy has one line of dialogue which is really great and that's about it that's coming up <laughs> yeah yeah <So>. yeah i know <laughs> he is he yeah he had his he has his one shining moment that that's fantastic yes. um but like there's you know they eventually you know are going to convince the guy to to allow them to have the budget but this is still them just kind of prepping it and uh back in the lab the egg basically starts taking metal pieces from around the lab there's like these arm hook things that you can use to manipulate stuff in the lab by staying outside of it it takes those down it uses its tentacles to kind of grab stuff and then you hear like you know some stuff happening so you know things are gonna gonna sort of happen and um and then basically, here's the part I was like, I wasn't quite sure because my note says another scientist or clerk enters the room. It, it's it's this uh, this female, this this lady enters the room, I guess, kind of just to check on things. But the way she's dressed, she looks like a stewardess. She's got that weird like ascot thing going on or whatever the female version of an ascot is from the 80s. She just looked either, either too overdressed to be a clerk or too, I don't know. Yeah. There were some questionable costume choices uh, for the next 15 minutes of this movie where I'm like, did they just pull whatever they could find from a from a from, you know, 
Did they go to Iguana uh, uh, Thrift Store on Ventura in Sherman Oaks and just buy whatever fucking 70s or, you know, professional-looking outfits they could find? Because it didn't work. I'm like, okay. Yeah. She also worked for TWA, too. Did everyone just show up wearing their normal clothes? And she was like, well, I guess this is what a NASA clerk would wear because, you know, (laughs) I got to be fancy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Look, find something yeah. blue in your in your wardrobe. It's for what's a code? We're an ascot. You don't understand? You mean Chekhov? No, he's not Chekhov. He's 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 like Captain Kirk from New York, right? See, he's he's Grant. He's got a cool name like Grant. Come on, Come on. he's got to do push-ups pretty soon. So get ready. Of course, she finds the room just destroyed. And yes, what do destroyed. you do when you find a room destroyed by an alien? You go in and investigate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's chill. What's going on? Yeah. I, and I do like the fact that she did call security. Like, you always wonder, like, oh, why didn't they call security? At least that yeah. was the very first thing that she did was That's call cool. security. That's but cool. then the security guy tells, him, tells her to basically hang tight. Like, you know, stay where you are. And in doing so, she gets... Gets killed by the alien robot creature that you don't really see. You just see her scream. She gets picked up by the face kind of thing, by the big hands. And then you see the feet sort of lumber out of there. And it's like, okay. And then downstairs, you know, they're still talking about the fucking mission. And Tanner, Bruce Campbell's character, is trying to, like, make the coffee machine work. And he's, like, kicking it and everything. And he's like, uh, we don't take no shit from no machines. And that's, again, something that comes back later. It's very cliche writing. It's extremely bare bones. It's very cut and dry. There is... There is no subtlety to this movie whatsoever. No. There's no like underlying stuff to the dialogue at all. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> dot 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 no. <laughs> yeah, this oh, seemed like God, oh, come no. on. Can we just get to the moon now, please? Yeah. But we're not yeah, we're not going to get there for a little bit. <laughs> Not for a smidge, and you can tell that the director really wants to get there. The only, the only takeaway, kind of the big takeaway from this uh, little exchange is, is that uh, if they are going to go to the moon, Grant can do it, Tanner can do it. They're ready to go. There's uh, an old spaceship in Lunar Lander in Mothballs at the at the Cape. You know, of course, Tanner's like at the Cape, and it's like, oh, yeah, like you can tell that the writer was like, oh, this is gold, Jerry, gold. I'll call yeah. Cape Canaveral the Cape because he, yeah. he he knows it uh, so well. But the only kind of takeaway is is that they need a third person to to monitor in the orbiter, and they say, you know, this guy Beck, he's a great choice for that, and he's a great choice. Maybe as a lunar orbiter, he is not a great choice as an actor. We will get to that when we get to that. He's a great red. He's a great choice as a red shirt on Star Trek. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Perfect. Yes, exactly. Nerd alert. And then like we get a little piece of dialogue where, you know, uh, Grant says, you know, I missed, I missed out on the moon the first time. He's like, not this time. So again, they're really hammering time, home Johnny. his his uh, his motivation for this is very clear cut, and that's just he just wants to to get back there because he missed it as a kid. So look, see, I'm trying know, to carve whatever. out a new career here. Like, give me a chance. Come on, yeah. So so, what was up with his accent in this movie? He's I don't he's know, trying dude. to. It's it's, it's terrible. Like it's really really bad. Speaks, yeah, and everybody everybody's speaking with a very normal tone. You know. We don't take no shit from a coffee machine. And then he's like, yeah, we don't take no shit. We don't take no shit. I've got to speed up my dialogue and sound like I'm a 1920s talkie. Like, are you from New York? 
and then I'm and I'm thinking, okay, is he from New York or is he is he really maybe he really is Russian and he's trying to cover up for his accent. And so I look him up. I look up Walter Koning on Wikipedia uh, while we're watching this, and I'm like, oh, he's born he's born in Chicago. The guy's like 90 years yeah. old. He's like 92 or something. He's still alive, by the way. Hats off to him. Oh it's yeah. Awesome. And he's he's a he's a professor. He's a te- he's teaches now in, in Southern California, uh, which is great. And like his, so his choice. I would love to. I'm sure we could find a way to get interview the guy and be like, let's talk about your motivation behind Grant. Why why is Grant sound like he's like uh, always charged up? See, yeah, like yeah, you know, everything's it's a firecracker. It, it's like it's like faster, more intense, which is the famous George Lucas. Like that's how he gives directing. Uh, that's how he directs his actors. He just tells them faster, more intense. And I think I feel like Walter Koenig <laughs> went to that like school of of thought here. Uh, except I don't think he's ever been directed by George Lucas. But or maybe he was just like channeling his his inner William Shatner or something. Yeah, there was a you Shatner know? going on there for sure. There was a little bit of shatting going on. <laughs> Zach, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good one, buddy. Firing on all cylinders this morning. <laughs> oh yeah, dude! I saved up. I saved up. <laughs> he shattered himself. Oh, that's a good one. We'll have to use that one. <laughs> um, the security finds the the poor stewardess's dead body, <laughs> and it's uh, NASA security, by the way. NASA security. Let's just clarify because yeah. they've got NASA yeah. hats on, NASA patches on. <laughs> And machine guns. Force at home. Everything's been branded NASA. Which, hey, you know what? Good for NASA for branding the shit out of themselves for this one. And, hey, second, I have a question for you. Are you allowed to, to use NASA, like the, the the logo and the symbols, because it's a government agency? Like, can you say IRS? Or do you have to get permission from NASA to to even say NASA in your movie? Well, yeah, that's a good that's a good point, because for years you couldn't use the official seal, the presidential seal of the United States in movies. That's why if you look at if you look at movies that have a president in them, like a low budget or they're talking at the the podium or whatever, they're always covering up part of the sign because you can't use the official seal or logo of the United States. Fun fact. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure now with our current administration, they'd be like, yeah, we'll sell it to you for whatever, a million dollars. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it's fun. Yeah, NASA was on everything back in the day, you know, from Space Camp and the, the Right Stuff and all the 80s movies that use space in them. So I don't know at this point. It wasn't, they weren't shut down. They uh, The government, they didn't become like kind of privatized until, I don't know, the, the late 90s early 2000s so um and then you know yeah. the space program was like prevalent and hot back then uh so yeah i don't know it's a good question yeah we're definitely on our on the way to becoming like the the Wayland utani uh future where like corporations are the ones that are exploring space yeah dude like we're we're not we're on our way <laughs> oh, future generations <laughs> For better <or> worse <laughs> sorry sorry Bodie. sorry my son hey man if <laughs> if if, if if Colonial Marines, if like the the new Space Force, if their armor looks as cool as Colonial Marines, then uh, sign me up, man. Sign me up for that bug hunt. <laughs> make it make it look like Starcom. Starcom was dope. That oh, cartoon. dude, Starcom was rad. If you don't know what Starcom is, go sh- find that shit. There's there's actually a DVD on Amazon. It's like five bucks for all ten episodes that they made. It's so good, so good. The animation's amazing. 
Starcom. I would say that most of our listeners probably do, um, but I was checking our Spotify analytics, and it's funny, like, we get most of our listeners are, of course, between, like, the ages of, like, 31 <laughs> and, like, 51. Like, that's our biggest bracket. But then there's another, the second biggest chunk is, like, the 18 to 25-year-old bracket. So I'm like, huh, okay. So so I guess younger people are also checking these movies out, too. That's yeah, awesome. Like, we pr- we appreciate that. Simon, I know, I know Simon listens to this. And he, he's like, yeah, I'm totally down with all this shit. So, yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah, go watch so Starcom. Go check out Starcom. Yeah, Starcom. Great, great fucking cartoon. Great <laughs> toys. Oh, really cool-ass toys, man. Magnets were magnets oh. were big back in the 80s. And NASA uh, or – was it NASA? Some government-funded space program sponsored Starcom. So it definitely yeah because it was it was, rooted, it was more yeah. realistic it, it was a, a yes. much more realistic take on space like uh, action I would say Car- yes. cartoon action yes. yeah you know <laughs> dude we may have to do a deep dive into Starcom baby hell yeah dude many series time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe Patreon exclusive. Uh, so, you know, and of course, uh, uh, you know, we uh, so the NASA security guys, they find the dead body and then they, they get a call from other security guards that there's something big in the basement and it, there's an intruder. And we cut to back to Tanner and Grant and them talking. But now the 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 security goes off and, you know, the alarms go off and everything and everyone kind of goes running by. And of course, you know, uh, Tanner's like, what's going on? They're like, oh, something, there's you know security breach in the basement, you know? So everyone goes kind of running down to, to the basement and down there, you f- see a really cool shot of this big monster robotic thing. It's kind of like in the hallway, completely immobile because it's too big for clearly for the production crew to make it that mobile. But yeah. it looks really cool designed. And it's like it's got the egg for the head. It's got those hook arm thingies for the arms that were in the the quarantine room. And so you could tell that it's built itself from the stuff that it could find, but then it has this like exposed rib cage that it took from the decomposed body, the 14,000 year old body. It has that like in the middle. So you already know that these creatures kind of use the human organic parts as parts to create their robotic part. And I really enjoy, like I said, I enjoy the design of it, but I enjoy the logic behind it because later on you'll see the same kind of creatures that have more access to like i guess materials that they can construct with so they look more smooth more robotic this looks much more piecemealed together and the the design of it's awesome and this was one of the shots that was in fangoria magazine that totally got me into wanting to see the movie like this shot of the creature standing here and i still think to this day i think it's a really cool designed monster uh i even though they made a sequel to this movie this is almost a movie that i would say would be perfect for just a straight up remake and with a little bit of a better budget and i think keep some of the designs exactly the same because they actually look pretty damn cool yeah, um, it, it, it just only its only fault was that it moved like a fucking erector set. Uh, yes, you know it was. What yeah. was it? Robotics? Those cool toys back in the day? Yes, it was, I know what you're referring. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, if 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 I paused for five seconds, that would be the amount of time it took for it to like slowly move its arm up. You know, it was so yeah. slow. Which yeah, it, it, that was the 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 it lacked in budget or special, you know, but it looked amazing. 
just yes, didn't move. It really, amazing. really did. And it, I mean, its arms and its head could move, but it just it couldn't physically go forward or backwards. And yeah. they, you could tell they erred on the design on the side of design over functionality, which is totally fine because again, this is. This was the creature that got me into this movie. This shot of this monster alien right here is the one that I love. So even when I see it to, to you know last night when I watched it to break it down, I still love this robot, this monster. I'm like, I like that. I think it's really cool looking. Um, but f- of course, they want to open fire on it immediately. The one scientist that we talk about, the one with the beard, the old scientist, he's like, no, you know, we got to communicate with it. We can't just attack it. So of course, he goes up to it and he's like, you know, we are friends the whole thing that we've seen it in movies before even like war of the worlds does it where they just get zapped immediately but the the monster of course like kind of shoots him with this like electric laser that it kind of has it kind of shoots electricity out which the effect actually it's cool it's cool cool. and and i kind of have a soft spot in my heart for hand painted electricity bolts it kind of it does that occasionally but it also does use practical effects of like sort of shooting and making sparks but i like hand-drawn electricity you know uh the the emperor from from empire strikes back and stuff i like hand-drawn electricity i think it's really cool and i miss that art form but of course, the creature shoots the scientist in the arm, doesn't kill him so that he can deliver the line, <laughs> get the son of a bitch, and then he kind of dives out of the way, and they all start, like, opening fire on him. I think Ugh. Diallo pointed out that that might have been a, a line in Independence Day as well. ID4 might have ripped that off. <laughs> Yeah, when when uh, I think it was yeah somebody I remember that scene where they where the the creature grabs him and he's like shoot the son of a bitch yeah and yeah I I think that might have gotten ripped off from this sadly yeah. that's insane like dude you know that the dude who wrote uh, Independence Day Dean had Devlin. to have seen yeah had had to have seen Mood Trap you know well he it. made a movie like, Dean Devlin made a movie him and Roland Emmerich made a movie in the in the late eighties early nineties called Moon Forty Four I think it might it came out after this with Michael yeah. Perry and Stephen Jeffries and it's like a moon base they're like moon truckers or something like that moon truckers it's funny um and it's kind of like it 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 yeah you could see where you could put these two together moon 44 and moon and moon train yeah I if you ask him I guarantee he'll be like yeah I've seen moon trap (laughs) he might even say yeah I got the (laughs) blu-ray uh but the anniversary uh, edition with no subtitles (laughs) without subtitles god damn it (laughs) I'm sorry I just like cheap plug for subtitles like you know having a kid uh or living in a place where maybe sometimes there's noise around you it's like subtitles are so important now to be able to read what if you miss something so or just to get a character's name like Beck. I'm like, is that his name? Yeah. What are they saying? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, or does it hear... really matter? Nope. <laughs> or to hear what Mira says later when she's like, or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> whatever, you fucking whatever, her bo- whatever her boobs are saying. Um... <laughs> oh, poor, poor, poor actress. <laughs> poor poor exploitation <laughs> oh yes oh yes we will yes we'll get to very that. much so can't um, wait to get to that <laughs> 
but of course, man, the the alien, the monster, it makes short work of these NASA security guards. He tears through them like it's their butter, man, just dropping them left and right. Yeah. Like the, I, their entire battalion is like wasted. But uh, but of course, the two astronauts have no problem figuring out how to like destroy this thing. So like uh, Walter Koenig uh, Grant basically goes up into the rafters while Tanner kind of distracts the monster by shooting at it and uh, Grant crawls to the rafters positions himself above the creature's head with his shotgun and I like the fact that the creature knows he's there like it thinks it, it can tell something's there it keeps looking up and then Tanner like will shoot at it to kind of draw its attention away yeah, for some cool. reason I, I enjoyed that because they could have easily made it so that that Grant you know just got there and you know Tanner was just shooting at it you know I I don't know why, but I liked that extra detail that they made the robot actually like trying to find Grant because he could hear him. But yeah. uh, so Grant uh, he makes short work of it. He lifts up the the grate and then he just blasts its head ex- apart with a uh, with a shotgun and uh, you know does not get hit by any buckshot reflection at all. But hey, that's uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Maybe he didn't utter <laughs> a cool line like you know, uh, you know to make make an omelet you got to crack a few eggs. See? Yeah, yeah, you know, they definitely did not lean into any egg crap cracking <laughs> puns or references in this. They should have. They really yeah. should have. Oh, that thing had me walking on eggshells. What's going on here? Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Moon's over uh, my hammy. I want to go to the Cape. What? And and that definitely kind of gives credence to the fact that I, I think they're really trying to make a you know a realistic sci-fi horror action movie here. I think uh, I I do think that at the end of the day, Bruce Campbell maybe his acting should have been toned down a smidge just to kind of match what they were trying to go for. Yeah. But that being said. Bruce Campbell's zany acting is probably one of the more enjoyable aspects of the film. So I don't really know what the right answer is here. I think the right answer is it's just Moontrap, baby, and you just got to go with the flow. <laughs> well, I, at this point, too, I, I, I said to Diallo, I said, oh, I thought I thought um, Bruce Campbell's character uh, was dead. Or, you know, I, I thought I thought he was had a I, I kept saying before we watch this movie, I said, oh, uh, Bruce Campbell's in this, and and Diallo's like, oh, that's cool. And I said, yeah, he's he's he pulls a Steven Seagal in executive decision. Like he's he's only in it the first fifteen minutes. That's what I had remembered as a as a kid. Uh, yeah. It tells you like what my recollection is of this movie. Why I thought it was good back in the day, and now watching him, like, oh, there's already we're like thirty minutes into this thing already, and and he's still alive. Okay, okay, yeah. Oh, but he's, maybe he lives longer. He's actually in it for, he's actually in it for a lot of the movie. Yeah. And so when he, when he dies, it actually is kind of like a, one of those, you know, sp- you know, twists at the end. Yeah. That you're like, oh crap! I thought he was gonna make it, but I'm with you. Uh, in my head, I mostly remember Walter Koenig mainly because you know he just stands out as not really fitting, and I just remember the monsters. And I'm like, oh yeah, Bruce Campbell was in it, but like you, until I rewatched it a couple of years ago, like you, I always thought, yeah, he's not in it for for a lot, and he dies kind of you know early on because in my head, I thought they were on the moon for a lot longer than they were, but yeah. the the movie does move pretty briskly like you said at this point we're already like 30 minutes in and we haven't even like gone back to the moon yet and whatnot so it it does kind of chug along pretty quickly 
<laughs> chugs, baby. Chugs. <laughs> chug, chug, chug like a train going to the moon. <laughs> Honestly, you uh, can so, skip you can skip certain parts or just go straight straight into certain things, you know. You could really just start the movie going right to the moon and cut out this whole beginning part. Um not much happens. Yeah, Diallo, Diallo, Diallo's like, I feel like the movie started here when they get to the moon. Yeah. Like, then, then yeah. they filmed all this stuff after the fact because they didn't have a lo- enough of a movie, you know? I probably think that sounds really – yeah, that I, I – I think that that sounds about right. Like, I think they just kind of had, like, oh, crap, we only have an hour-long movie, and we don't have any really backstory, so let me... We got to go film all this, because now we got a scene. We cut to this scene of Grant, like, in his, like... 1989 version of a futuristic swanky apartment like place or condo or something and it's like all white it's got this weird like curved you know uh stairwell or thing or something behind him but uh (laughs) the funny thing is he's working out in his apartment you know he's getting in shape because he wants to get back to the moon doing push-ups his son the, the 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 person they have to play his son is so blonde, so fair skinned <laughs> that it's like he's like Scandinavian compared to Walter Koenig. And I'm just like, you couldn't cast like a little bit like on skewed towards Walter Koenig, you know, at all. Cause he, he's got a little bit of olive skin to him, you know, like, can you skew it that way? No. Apparently, whoever his ex wife was. Her blonde, you know, Scandinavian jeans completely overpowered Walter Koenig's jeans. It, but, it was like uh, Shannon know. Tweed and uh, and Gene Simmons, their baby, if their baby was more of the Shannon Tweed side, you know, blonde yeah, and white. Full, yeah, full Shannon Tweed. <laughs> <laughs> full Tweed, full Tweed. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you get some you get some conversation between him and his son, uh, you know, he, is you find out that he's divorced and you know it's whatever it's your typical backstory fair conversation uh, and then he's going to make his son you know burgers for dinner because i guess he's watching him that weekend type of thing and uh and tanner calls of course, I, I like the fact that his son picked up and you know you, you could hear tanner asks about how you know how how is school and everything i like that stuff i like when you just take an extra 30 seconds yeah. to show that there's a connection so much of a connection between tanner and grant that tanner you know would care about grant's kid he is like an uncle i as, as much as there's so much cliche to this movie, I do like little tiny moments like that. I, and I and so to bookend on your tiny moment like that, I want to go back to the push-ups really quick and point out the fact that while while Walter Koenig is powering through these push-ups, after he's finished doing the push-ups, he looks more winded. Uh, you know, he looks so fucking winded in that scene. He looks like he's going to pass out. He's just like, ah, okay, should we order a pizza or something well, like that? Maybe a burger, burgers and fries. Yeah. Greasy burgers and fries. Maybe <laughs> he shouldn't be working out in acid wash jeans. Maybe he should actually be working out in shorts or something. But I will say this. If you want an awesome example of what 1989 fashion looks like, look at what he's wearing in his acid wash jeans. That <laughs> with his, with his very, Star Trek Part Four whale shirt. Yes, with his yes, with his Star Trek Part Four whale shirt. 
<laughs> Sadly enough, though, I would say that those jeans are now in style because the 80s made a huge comeback in, you know, from 2000 and, you know, probably 15 to today. The 80s have been pretty strong in pop culture. And I'm not going to lie to you. I've seen jeans like that on people in L.A. just walking around oh, yeah. non-ironically. Just that's what they're wearing. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, I I remember when those were like new in fashion and they didn't look good then. They do not look good now. No, it's terrible. It was a terrible costume design, but also pointed out the fact that it exposed how hairy Walter Koenig's arms are. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. whoop, her, her. <laughs> yeah, his Star Trek shirt that you said that he's wearing. Yeah, so this is when I really took note of my God, Walter Koenig has some hairy monkey arms. And then <laughs> like like and then now that you actually see his proper skin tone, you can tell how much makeup they put on his face to kind of bring down those those wrinkles to kind of make him seem like yeah. he's maybe in his late thirties as opposed to being in probably at the time his late forties. <laughs> well, or fifty even, because if he's ninety two now you know, this oh, was yeah, like 40 years ago, dude. So, yeah. uh, that's crazy. Yeah. No, he was probably pushing towards 50. And, you know, we probably were making fun of him now. But in truth, are we? He was he's actually in he's actually in pretty good shape for his age. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not his fault that they cast him as a 30 no. year old. No, it's not I, Walter Koenig's fault. <laughs> and we're not shitting on Walter like he he's I, I would you know that it's just the idea like the. Yeah, it's just the idea. It's just the idea that they're trying to sell a fifty-year-old man (laughs) being like this action action hero heartthrob that's maybe in his late thirties. Yeah, talking to his like young buck. He's and he's talking to his young buck son who you know is who can go and you know he's like he's doing a push-up contest with his son and like the the kid's like all right I'm done you know like (laughs) some burgers and greasy burgers and fries come on let's go and then yeah he has the dialogue which I did I appreciated the dialogue. I'm like I would have seen I would have liked to see more dynamic between his son and him than the the 10 minutes of dialogue earlier in the movie with the greasy government guy who doesn't want to give money to NASA and their argument back and forth. Like let's just get to this and then the next scene you're about to talk about where I'm just like was that really important too? But yeah, yeah. So, so the next scene, I actually would have enjoyed the information that comes from the next scene to be inserted here and yeah. having like maybe a, a cookout between Tanner Grant and maybe his son, and yeah, can basically condense all those conversations into one like better character center conversation, and yeah. you would get maybe more out of it, and thus maybe care a little bit more. But uh, the conversation, you know, the the, the conversation between Tanner over the phone and um uh, grant's son it all all does is get grant to realize okay tanner's drunk at a strip club and i gotta go to him because he's mouthing off essentially you cut to the strip club and whoo we guys and girls if you want to see a some insane 80s hair and b some insane fake 80s breasts then check out the stripper <laughs> that that is right away that you know establishes that this is a strip club and uh, i was like honestly i looked at her boobs and then i was i looked right at her hair i'm like wow that hair is wild and i never looked away from her hair after that <laughs> i think uh, i think Kristen, uh my wife Kristen, said like 
she goes, is that Kirstie Alley or something or, or some? And I go, no, no, it's definitely not anyone you would know. <laughs> yeah, it's probably just a real stripper. <laughs> yeah. And, and and this scene is just like it's honestly, it's probably one of the worst scenes in the entire film. <laughs> that's it. Not say that's saying a lot, dude. <laughs> I know. I, I dude. Like you meet Beck. You meet you meet Beck who's doing a terrible job. That actor's doing a terrible job acting like he's drunk. Bruce what? Campbell is is on like a twelve. Like he is yeah. hamming it up to the X degree. It's yeah. insane. It's not realistic. And no. then Walter Koenig's in there and you know, he's trying to, you know, uh, gotta get my buddy out of here. And you find out that the whole reason that Beck and Bruce Campbell are, are celebrating is because he got word that the mission is a go. And then when you when when Grant Walter Koenig finds this out, he does this shot of his face where he like he's like smiling and like sort of looking out into space and sort of looking up. And as like Tanner's talking, like the camera like dollies in slowly into like Grant's face as he's like smiling, and I'm like. Ooh, this is so cheesy and so bad. And the whole yeah. scene, just top to bottom, the entire scene is absolutely just terrible. I, 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 as much as it's great that you see boobs, I would, I would say that this scene should be taken out and then reshot with the, the, you know, the cookout and have the same conversation with him, Beck, and the son. And, you know, like just, and maybe have some like the son being like, oh, dad, I'm, you know, worried about you going into space. You're too old. Like you could have done so much more. But, they chose to show 80s boobs and they chose to say, hey, Bruce Campbell, act drunk. Yeah, I feel like they, they film again, I think they filmed this out of sequence because this film, like they, they, I felt like they shot this way after the fact. First of all, because Beck looks like maybe 10 pounds heavier, especially in the neck. I'm like, because he doesn't have a neck in this scene, by the way. And then later in the movie, he like looks like he's in way better shape. And I'm like, Oh, did they? Okay. I guess you lose weight in space. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> and so in space, no one can hear you lose weight. Uh, but also it just felt so inconsequential. And I'm like, at first I'm like, is he upset? Is, is Bruce Campbell upset with, is he mad about something? Cause at first he like seemed like he was pissed off, but then, then you get to the whole reveal and they're like, yeah, they're going to space. And yeah. And this was, this was the, the moment I said to Diallo, I'm like, I'm a huge Bruce Campbell fan, but I'm not a huge fan of his performance in this. I feel like he's way, it's like they they it's almost like the director was like, you be you. You're so good. You know, we, we, it was like how every, when you go to a convention and Bruce Campbell's like, do you guys want to just hear me run off lines from my movies? Yay. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, no, it's like, it's come on, dude. You better than that. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I love Bruce Campbell. I love Bruce Campbell when he does Bruce Campbell. And yeah. here I'm not in love with his performance, even though it's fun. It's fun for the wrong reasons. It's not fun because it's fun. It's fun because it's stupid and, and doesn't fit. And I wonder if it's because, you know, uh, the director – you know, he, he had already familiarity with Bruce Campbell as a person. And yeah, maybe I can like you. It clicked for me when you just said that. Maybe he was like, just do you. I love you. And then Bruce Campbell like turned in this like crazy 
performance and you know maybe he needed somebody to kind of rein him in a little bit yeah. and, and say hey but i you know as a first time director on a, on he probably was distracted by a bunch of different things that he had to manage and then was like you know what i want bruce campbell just to be bruce campbell so i'm not going to even like take the time to to direct him that was kind of the sense that i got but yeah this scene was this was arguably like my least favorite scene in the entire movie because like i was just like just get to it cuz bruce campbell like draws out the news by trying to act funny and do these like funny lines and act drunk and it just it was bad it was just all around just really really bad but the great thing is is that we're done with earth at this point this is the last time we have to put up with this bullshit and our actors are pretty much going to be in spacesuits from from here on out and they do a great job again they they cut from like the, uh, the shot of walter koenig looking up and then just right to a space shuttle taking off that's great it's all we need to know and then boom we're on the moon and <laughs> bada bing bada boom we're there uh, everyone's got facial hair for some reason so yeah, everyone's got facial hair uh, and, and and walter koenig like look closely on certain scenes where it's like glued on his face and you're like oh it yeah. looks like pubes on his face yeah like why did can he not shave or something i don't get it but okay so so they're on the moon walter koenig is in his spacesuit. he's like looking he's like on a ridge looking down at the at the lunar lander yeah. so you know they've already they're already there and tanner's driving on on a rover and you know so walter koenig's like okay i've always wanted to do this and he kind of hops down the ridge but then he slides and trips and falls and nothing comes of it other than the fact that tanner makes fun of him and grant's like ah, i come all the way to the moon just to fall on my face and then tanner's like well that's not you know not really your face that you fell on yeah it's like they try to insert some some banter some enjoyableness to it but yeah, you know whatever yeah, see? Yeah, we're on the moon, see? Whatever. Look at this. Yeah. We're walking around and getting asbestos in our mouth. Yeah. It, yeah, getting a, a, a concrete, essentially powdered concrete, uh, breathing that in. But, I mean, uh, t- yes, we see a lot of the same shots being used here and a lot of, like, like the same little set that they could have moved the camera, but they kind of didn't. So, you, you know, yes, there were some flaws there, but I will say the set itself they did a great job of making it look like the moon from what, yeah. you know, from what my understanding of what the moon looks like. Well, one, one, I just, I just came to the realization that everything's filmed on a set in this movie. There's no exterior shots at all. Zero. Uh, and, and two in this sequence when they're driving around and they get in their buggy and they're driving around, it reminds me of, uh, cause, cause it's clearly like a model. That's the, oh yeah, the buggy. yeah. There's a there's some miniature shots in this for sure. And I'm like, oh, this reminds me of Gumby in space. If you look at the old original <laughs> Gumby cartoon, because they're just like, Pokey, I don't know what we're doing here. And they're not, you know, oh Gumby, I think we better go. And it's like they're 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 not even moving, you know. And uh, there's a, a few scenes on the moon that are like that. It's so hilarious because it's clearly just a model, which I kind of like, actually. Oh, yeah, I do, too. I love miniatures and models. I'm a huge fan of it. it and it's one thing that I liked about this movie. I, I did not like the fact that you could tell that they slowed down the rover driving and, (laughs) and because it was probably too fast when they did it and they're like, Oh crap, we need to actually slow this down. And by doing so, if you know anything about film in order to slow something down, you actually add frames. And if you didn't, if you don't shoot it, 
um, like that. If you do it like in post-production, it creates like a choppy effect. And I personally hate post-production slow-mo. I think you need to do it in camera. But yeah. I think here it feels like they did it because like, oh, crap, the, 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 miniature, the miniature buggy that they used – moves too fast and they're like oh crap that doesn't look realistic it needs to be slower but yeah whatever they use miniatures and you know they do a good job of like doing that little creature eyeball thing kind of moving under the the moon sand you know it does the it does the trimmers thing where the ground kind of goes up as it's moving along that was cool yeah that Remind was that me, was awesome wasn't that movie uh screamers with peter weller yes they did that too. yes Yes, and spoiler alert, Screamers is on my mental Rolodex to get to at some point on Podcasting After Dark. Because again, I think you guys can kind of see what where my interests sort of skew at this point with like sci-fi and space stuff. So yeah, Screamers is definitely on there. I, I That I have not seen since like the 90s. So, And I've heard word that it holds up. I've talked to people online. They say that it actually holds up, but I have not seen that in forever. If uh, Listeners, out there let me know is screamers worth revisiting or not with peter weller um so grant and tanner answer that uh, for you (laughs) like no the opposite opposite of yes so yeah grant tanner they do have a mission to do so they get in the, the 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 rover and they start heading off basically uh i forgot how they know where to go but yeah they just have a direction like a signal for them to go check out essentially and you know while while that happens they drive away from the lunar lander and you know a tentacle kind of is watching them that eyeball thing and then the tentacle goes up to the lunar lander grabs it electrocutes itself or electrocutes the lunar lander i think kind of does a sort of a scan on it and then takes its tentacles and then just shoots away so that's you know that's all you got there and uh you know it's like okay what's gonna what's gonna happen there um tanner and grant are in their rover and they basically uh they get to a hill where the rover can't go over so they have to climb to the top of the hill on foot and as they get to the top of the hill they see this giant like building face built into the side of the mountain the door is like wide open and you know there's like a a light on it that's kind of blinking they're like oh who is it signaling and you know grant's like well there's no one else around here so i guess they're signaling us and then in the next shot they are driving the rover up to the front of the thing. And I never picked up on this before until I broke it and was breaking it down. And this is where, you know, where the fun comes of actually like watching a movie and paying attention. I'm yeah. like, so if they couldn't get the rover up over the hill, did they just drive the, a long way around? Because once they actually had like, you know, okay, we need, we know we have to go here. Did they just drive the rover around? I mean, I'm asking, I'm they, asking did you, did they push the thing up? Did they <laughs> yeah. push the thing up the hill? Is that what they did? Or did they tow it? Or it's so bad. You're like, no, wait, 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 wait. You just talked about, you spent like a couple minutes on a scene where you, you're stuck here and you got to go on foot. And now you're suddenly rolling up to the, to this building with the Rover. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. We're just going to let that one slide. And is that yeah. at the point where, uh, where Chekhov says, He's like, oh, astronauts with guns. And I'm like, dude, why, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, so they get to the front of the place. They find um, a skull on the, like, 
like in the sand. I know there's yeah. a name for moon dust, but I, I don't remember what it's called. But uh, in the moon dust, they find a skull. And before they go into the entrance, um, Grant's like, wait a minute, we're forgetting something. And they go to the back to the rover, open up a case, and there's two machine guns in there. They look like modified Uzis or Mac-10s. Yeah. But cool. the idea is that they're modified so they can fire in space, which is really cool looking. I, I yeah. thought they looked really neat. But, yeah, that's where you get the, the line where Grant kind of mutters under his breath. He's like – you know, guns on the moon. Like, the how, moon. like, what have we become, essentially? And and it's, you know, like, it's supposed to be that line. Like, what have we become? But yet, there's no there's no gravitas to it. And really, at this point, you're like, well, yeah, guns. Who, who gives a shit? You're already leaving trash on the moon anyways. Who yeah. cares if there's fucking guns there? And, and why are you there? You're there because this thing tried to kill you guys. And so yeah. you clearly have to defend yourselves, dipshit. And on yeah. top of that, too, I noticed the uh, the building that they go into reminded me of this uh, in, in, in an old He-Man episode. It's called The House of Shakoti. It's considered like one of the scariest episodes of He-Man. Uh, and the building, the, the house that they go into looks eerily similar in, in some ways to the building that they go into in this very cool that the, like the temple or whatever. Uh, yeah, th- this, this part got me more excited. I'm like, okay, this is cool. This, this shit is cool now. Like we're starting to get into some good stuff. Yeah. I like, I guess what I liked about this movie is they start peppering this interesting lore into it. And yeah, sure. It doesn't really pay off. They don't do much with it, but it was just enough to get my imagination sort of revved up. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I used to like draw, I used to draw a lot uh, when I was younger, um, but I used to draw the, the monsters from this. Like I would, I would make up my own, you know, like I would cool. cr- like, draw my own version of these things and I would make like, you know, a skull here and like I had fun with it. So for some reason, this movie really just sort of ignited my imagination, but you know, watching it now, you, yeah, they, they, they do some interesting things, but they just do not like follow a hundred percent through with it and, and do no. stuff basically based on the budget. But yeah, when, so the next scene, they go inside the, the, the place and it's a cool shot. Like there's like this giant hall that they're in and they're talking about that. It's like a, maybe it's a ceremonial hall. And I like that. I like, you know, you, like you said, you get some kind of lore here. There's some yeah. sort of mythos to this that we don't really know. And I dig that. And I can, you can tell that I think the, writer had an idea in the back of his head what he was trying to to say with this and um but it was cool it's a very cool concept very cool it's very neat and in the parts that are well executed they are well executed like the matte painting here does look good yeah i i thought so far this is this is all good stuff and the, the pacing was okay and everything you know solid yeah, all the moon stuff is is solid. It's like, yeah, it, this is all solid. <laughs> and at that point, and, and at this point in the movie, I think the best you can ask for from from Moontrap is quote unquote solid. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so they get to this door that has you know like the handprint on it, you know, so you can put your handprint on it, and that's what opens the door. And so, of course, like Grant's like, oh, I know what to do here. So he does that. They they go into this other room and the door closes behind them. And then you can tell like air oxygen comes into it because all the, the dust and the sand move around. But they find this like sarcophagus looking thing in the middle of the room with a with a skeleton on top of it, kind of like protecting it. Uh, another skeleton sort of on the ground next to it. And then a live woman 
uh, inside of it. You know, they can see through the glass, you know, essentially because they, they wipe the, the sand away. And inside the container, there's, there's, a, there's a female. Uh, the lid sort of, like, pops open, and, like, she doesn't have her suit on or anything. Like, she's just – she's not naked, thankfully. Thankfully for the actress, she's not, not naked. They could have gone that route. But she has, like, some kind of outfit on. And uh, so the suit – the, the the sarcophagus cracks open. They she can't get out, so they kind of help push her out. And she sees them and freaks out and kind of rolls out, but grabs uh, Tanner's gun and is like you know kind of about to shoot them. But Grant takes his helmet off and is like, "Look, we're human, you know." And he, I guess he just makes an educated guess that hey, if she can breathe this air, you know, I can breathe this air. So yeah, <laughs> they do that whole thing like like you know she can't speak English, so he's he's like you know Grant and and you know Tanner says he's Tanner. Ray and she says her name is Mira and that's kind of like all you really get from her uh verbally but then she kind of goes over to one of the skeletons and you can just tell that she knew who that person was and there was like a recognition to it and she you know felt bad about it and I think she the actress she does a great job in this movie to be completely honest with you I think she she does a fine job doing conveying what she needs to convey and you know getting naked when the director makes her get naked <laughs> yeah her her uh her line of dialogue or her one word and then uh you know yeah she's she's good she's a good alien chick you know and and, yeah. and she and she <laughs> I have no problem with this scene up to this point. So it's not until when we're getting there. But uh, <laughs> continue, please. <laughs> okay. So so she uh, she takes out um, a suit, one of her spacesuits, and it looks like the one that was on the computer monitor earlier in the movie. Very cool suit, by the way. I'm like, that is a cool yep. spacesuit. Yep. Yes, I completely agree. I very much enjoy the design of the ancient astronaut spacesuit, and it is very much inspired by, I'd say, equal parts Back to the Future and equal parts just um, Unsolved Mysteries or whatever the, the – um, the Leonard Nimoy show, like In oh, Search in of search Mysteries. Of. Yeah, In Search yeah, of. Yeah, In Search of. that. Whatever shows back in the 80s talked about ancient astronaut stuff, they yep. always showed this picture of – because I think it was like a space car or um, like a, a, a – you know, a cave painting or something that they always reference it, but it has that square helmet looking thing. So you could just tell that the designer went from that with this and it looks great. It looks really, really cool. Very much give it props uh, for how it looks, but thankfully she has the suit on. They all kind of are resuited back up. And right when they're about to leave the room, an alien, one of the aliens drops down from the ceiling. This time it looks more like a spider thing. Again, I like how they look different. I think they have fun with the designs of these things, but the egg is of course the central point of the spider. Uh, It drops down and they shoot it and destroy it. So I think that kind of gives also um, Mira, she can, you know, it shows her that, that the gun can be something that works and everything. Because she has to give the gun later to, I think, Ray. So it kind of gives her an idea of what it's for and everything. And also kind of endears her to them to show her that, you know, they are on her side, essentially. It's a cool-looking spider. I agree with you. Yeah. That was a definitely a cool design. One of the better designed ones. Yep. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. 
Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode, this is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays, and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then... Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking Back. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week, we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. What's up, guys? I'm Tess. And I'm Corey. And we are the ongoing comic book discussion podcast, the place where one guy and one gal dive into the world of comic books one adventure at a time. That's right. You can find us every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any of your favorite podcatchers. So come check out OCD Podcasts, where comic books are cool. Cool. Hey, this is Brent. And I'm Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five Podcast. Yes, sir. We cover everything from the 80s to today. We absolutely do. You can find us every other Friday on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Like iTunes? Like Stitcher. Oh, man. Maybe a little Spotify. Hey, and also check us out on Instagram. Absolutely. So come hang out. I think you'll have a lot of fun, and we will see you there. Yeah, bring your Proton Pack and your Ecto Cooler. And maybe some McNugget Bugs. And now, back to the show. Back at the Lunar Lander, they do like a little intercut thing uh, that back at the Lunar Lander, we see two giant robots now walk up to it. And I do like the the first-person view that they have at first walking up to it because you're like, oh, man, that's always freaky uh, when you do that because you know that that's not human. You know, like you know yeah. that, that something is out there that's not, you know – supposed to be there and it's like two giant one of these these alien creatures and they look they're they're also different but they're become more of the standard design and i guess my takeaway was like that's what the creature on earth probably wanted to look like but the best it could do was the pieces that it had but these two giants are kind of what i take as like the standard uh alien creature um Beck in orbit, you know, basically he gets something like a signal that something's wrong with the lander. He's like, what? You know, the he's like, he says the lander's moving. And of course, this actor has to basically just act towards nothing because he's like in this little set all by himself. And, uh, you know, he does a terrible job of everything he does. And I'm sorry. I am sorry. But he does. Beck does a terrible job. Um, (laughs) But he does mention he does mention that the package is still functional. And, you know, that's going to be later we find out what the quote-unquote package is then the the crab thing happens and you know but but now grant and tanner and mira 
are they go back out to uh, the rover and they basically drive back to the lander. Beck's kind of like asking like what's their progress. He's monitoring them from from the orbiter and you know he says that uh, they should be seeing the lander by now, like based on where they are. And they get there and uh, you know it's 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 not there they're like it's gone and there's like a bunch of footprints all around it that they can sort of follow now mira does keep saying a word besides her name she says uh keliums like yeah. she says keliums and i wish Kium. Kium. <laughs> this is when the freaking subtitles would have actually helped i don't know i couldn't quite tell what she was saying but it's but the name of the aliens is Kelium. Yeah, and I'm like, what are you, Nell from the Jodie Foster movie? Like, a, you know, Tay in the Wind. Like, come on. I- did did you really just do a Nell reference on Podcasting <laughs> After Dark? I, I have did. never seen that movie, but I know what you're talking about. Oh, you don't need to see that movie. <laughs> it's got Liam Neeson in it before he, uh, you know, went all aggro, but understandably so. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's uh, yeah, it. she's, her character, I'm like, what? I get it. You've been locked up. You can talk. You can talk. We find out later in the movie she she could talk, you know? But she can't speak English. No, I'll, I'm going to push back on this. It's not a problem with her having the ability to speak. It's the fact that she's 14,000 years old and doesn't speak English. No, no I'm saying she I can think... enunciate. She could enunciate a little bit more. Kelium. Oh, Kelium. okay. <laughs> Instead, it's like... Yeah. Like when she look like when they look at her and she's like, no, no, Kelium. Yeah. Okay. I I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on. That that they they could have they could have explained whatever. No, you're you're 100 percent right. I I will say in this scene, I'm like, okay, so your 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 lander is gone. You're screwed now. You're screwed at this point. You're stuck on the on the moon. Um, I'd be a little panic stricken at this point. I I would be too. Yes, I would be panicking, but that's why you and I are not astronauts. <laughs> but they start they, they start like they they're like it's like they're gonna go on a fucking picnic at this point. I'm like, what what's going on now? You know, <laughs> or or it's like they're gonna go camping on the moon. Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, they do. They basically follow the tracks on the rover, and uh, or they follow the tracks with the rover, and they don't know where it's going, but they're following it. The rover dies, the battery dies on it, so they have to get out and walk on foot. And I do like that Grant does say at one point he's like, "I bet Mirror is like like wondering what the hell we're doing right now. Like she's just following them. Like what she's she literally has no clue what the hell they're doing, and she's just following them. But you know, it's like what." Whatever. I guess she's like, well, where else am I going to go? And my whole base is dead and everyone's skeletonized. She doesn't even know how old she is at this point. So, you know, what, what, whatever. Yeah, I'm like, does she have amnesia? Like, you would think she would have been, like, encouraging them to stay, maybe stay, like, in in their base, in her base. Base, yeah. Well, I, I guess because the, the creature, the Kelium, fell out of the ceiling, I guess the idea now is that the base is compromised. But okay. I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen more exploration of the base. But yeah. that's completely – that's a budgetary thing right there. They didn't have the, the money to build multiple sets nah. like that for sure. Um, but they do – so they do find uh, where the rover went, where the tracks basically lead to. And it's another spaceship being 
constructed by the aliens on the moon. And they're like, oh, shit, you know, like, well, we got to do something about this, of course. So Tanner and Grant are like, all right, we're going to attack it with our guns, right? Like, that's really the only option that they have. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but at the same time, I can see the logic in that. As as a, yeah. as a character, I can be like, yeah, what else are you going to do at this point? Fine, you know? And right when they're – before they're about to basically make their move, and then uh, one of the big monsters pops out of the sand, and, uh, and it basically starts uh, attacking them. Tanner destroys it and saves Grant. Uh, he, like, shoots it, destroys it, and saves Grant and everything. And then another one pops out of the sand and grabs Tanner and kind of crushes him. And then Grant is, shoots that one and kind of destroys it. But at this point – I guess we have to infer that Tanner has massive like internal bleeding because (laughs) he's fucked up and he's like on the ground and Grant's like over at him and like, you know, blood's coming out of his mouth and that's kind of like all you can see. But uh, apparently the, the creature grabbing him and crushing him did not like do anything to the structural integrity of his spacesuit. It just basically crushed what was inside of it, which is pretty cool in my opinion. But now we are treated to one of the worst overacted deaths that I've ever seen in my entire life, courtesy of Bruce Campbell. He, he starts like he starts like maniacally laughing, saying like, "We don't take any shit from no machine." He's like, "We he's don't like, take any you, shit from no machine." Yeah, you tell him, Grant. He's like, "Yeah, I'm like, where are you, Grant?" You know, it's like he he is bouncing all over the place and. And of course, Walter Koenig is trying to play it like, like bad, like, like, oh my God, my buddy, you know, Houston's talking in his ear and he's like, hold on, you know, he's trying to play it like very dramatic, but, but Bruce Campbell's like on an 11 and when he finally does die, it's like, he's like, ha ha. And he's just like, that's it. He's done. He's like, it just goes to complete silence. (laughs) Yeah. And it is, it is horrible. Uh, I want to quickly backtrack to when they're when they're shooting their guns at the robots and there's no sound whatsoever while they're shooting the robots and I'm and I said to Diallo I said is that because you can't hear anything in space like is it is it is that is that worse is this like a smart thing they're doing right now or is it a lack of sound effects because there's zero sound it's just like yeah bah, bah, you know. i think that was a design choice like okay. they they do that th- throughout the course of the whole thing uh okay. they don't do any sound in the space stuff and i do think that that was a, a design choice of them trying to be realistic okay I, but it doesn't it doesn't match bruce campbell that's the thing like bruce campbell in this movie and the way he acts is like the outlier i do think that the director was trying to go for realism yeah, yeah, and then Bruce Campbell's just like, I'm going to be super animated. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, sadly, that's that was my takeaway from it. But again, like we said multiple times on this episode, it's Bruce Campbell's acting that makes it fun. And if, if Bruce Campbell was toned down or if it was another actor in this role, would this whole movie just be a snooze fest? Yes, it would. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be. Yes. Like so so at the end of the day, Bravo, I think Campbell. it was movie-wise it was the wrong choice to have Bruce Campbell do what he did, yeah. but uh you know 30 years later it was the right choice to keep us interested. It it's what yes. makes this movie have any kind of lasting power and staying power. I agree. I agree. 
Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I'm like, oh, man, he, they killed him? Shit, the best part of the movie's dead now? <laughs> well, oh, oh well. my favorite part is about to come up. Like, my favorite alien part is about to come up, uh, courtesy of Bruce Campbell's death. So, in, in orbit, uh, the orbiter apparently gets hit by an electric bolt and you can you know at this point that's one of the aliens weapons and yeah the so the orbiter now starts falling out of orbit beck's like i can't do anything i'm being pulled out of orbit and i love the look on his face when he does like his what does he say right before he crashes into the into blows up he's like mother of god like he does that super like i'm looking out over over the horizon at my own fate and he does this dramatic like my god right before he like crashes (laughs) (laughs) and 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 he flames out so fast it's like a shooting star it's like boom done yeah 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 and i'm just like now Thank God. I'm happy. Like it sucks because you basically lose Beck and Tanner like in the same scene. But I'm happy that Beck is gone. I'm not happy <laughs> that Tanner is gone. But I'm like, oh, thank God that guy's out of there. But it does like bring about the fact that it, all hope is now lost. Like their connection to Houston and everything is pretty much gone. It's just you and me, baby. Yeah, it's just you and me and my my hairy arms and my caked on makeup. Let, let's go, <laughs> let's go, let's go pop a tent. Come on. Yes, let's go pop a tent. So Grant and Mira, they basically they walk back to the rover and he grabs a, a this thing out of it and the thing is like this automatic tent thing. So it creates a like a pops up into like this tent igloo looking thing which it's really cool yeah it's really cool looking it looks like something nasa would design it's really neat looking but the conceit is that it creates a like habitable sphere that you can kind of get into and uh it has air and you can take off your suit and it's you know decompressed and all this kind of stuff and it's got a heater in the middle yeah it's got a little heater in the middle that's a (laughs) bit of a logic all of that is a huge logic leap to sort of jump but all this scene is the only purpose of this scene is to get walter koenig and the the poor actress that plays mira to have a little mini sex scene and we get to see uh you know mira does a little strip and uh you know get a little get a little glimpse and yeah of course 11 year old Corey. that was like enough to get me excited it's like yeah i got some got some boobs there it was not a lot it was very very quick upon re-watching it with my 42 year old eyes it's not a lot to see <laughs> no but I, I will say it is so it's so exploitation-ish you know like yes uh it is so I like the the you know the the forty three year old me. I remember the four the yeah the thirteen year twelve year old me at the time watching it going like oh my gosh this is so yeah yay can see boobs now and then the forty three year old me is like man that's really fucked up like they just totally made this chick drop her top uh, just so you know to, to expo to just just to exploit her. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. come on. And 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 they don't really they don't even show the scene. It's like they take her top off, they kiss and then they cut, you know. And uh yeah. And I'm because like, she probably it's... didn't want to touch Walter Koenig's hairy arms. <laughs> I yeah. or maybe he's like, I look, I I don't feel comfortable taking my shirt off in this scene, but you know, she's like, I don't feel comfortable. Shut up. Just do it. Just do <laughs> it. <laughs> We pay you money. <laughs> no one cares what you think. <laughs> no one cares what you think. This is the 1980s, woman. Come on. 
<laughs> Walter, what, what do you much. want? Well, honestly, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do the sex scene, but uh, laying down, can, can I do it with my T-shirt on? Well, I prefer to... <laughs> Shut up! Again with you. <laughs> yeah, I, can I keep my shirt on? No! <laughs> no! <laughs> do, I at least, do I at least have a bra? No! Okay. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God, dude. Welcome to, welcome to 1989, guys and gals. It was a... We know that's how it was because yeah? uh, Marina Citrus or Citrus from Star Trek The Next Generation talked about that in the canon documentary when she was like filming death wish two and they are one and 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 there's a scene where she has to be raped and she's like well, i don't really feel comfortable and they're like no no you're doing the scene and she's like well yeah, okay you- and then she's naked on the ground on the uh mattress freezing her ass off while everyone on set has clothes on and she's like can i get a blanket and they're like no we're gonna shoot don't worry we're getting <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, you hear about that all the time. Uh, yeah, Fulci dude. had such a did did such terrible things to his his female actresses and whatnot, like throwing like maggots on him and whatnot. I don't know what the I don't know why like directors some these some of these directors are such I don't know Pervs? toxic masculinity or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion, and not to say that the director of Moontrap is that guy. Who knows what the backstory? Yeah. Maybe she was totally fine with this, but it was definitely yeah. a moment where you're like. Okay, yeah, she's you know she's beautiful, definitely a beautiful person, but I feel kind of dirty. <laughs> the forty-two-year-old me watches it, and I you can see that it. The only point to this scene is to show her breasts, and yeah, yeah like like you said, we don't know the backstory behind it. We just know that the it was this scene right here. What's what's shown to us is exploitative, and Big time. you know, hey, that's fine, and maybe hey, she didn't give a shit, and that's fine. Checked too. off it's the like, pad okay. box. Checked off the pad box. Yeah, of course. That's uh, boobies, baby. <laughs> um, but uh, so we get a quick shot of the outside of the tent, and one of the eyeballs is looking at it. So you go, okay, something's coming. And you also get a shot of the tentacles wrapping around Tanner's dead body. I did find it rather sad that they just sort of left his body there where it died. But I guess you you don't like at this point. What are you going to do? Where are you going to take it? Right. Um, so. Then you cut back, and now they're just getting suited back up again for no reason. I know, reason. You don't dude. Know where they're gonna go? But it's just it's perfect timing because <laughs> they hear something outside, and they go look out the little window, and up pops Bruce Campbell's face, like stretched out over, smiling over top of like a metallic robot thingy and he kind of like cuts his way through the wall and you can tell that like now bruce campbell's they've basically taken bruce campbell's face and put it on the robot looks amazing it's very disturbing it's very cool and i was watching it last night and i was thinking like oh you know what i bet that the robot's idea behind that is not to scare but to actually make you get closer right like like the idea is like a chameleon sort of thing where it's like yes. i'm gonna put this smiling face on there to kind of let you lower your guard down yeah, so that, that way cool. we can attack you and i thought that man that was the coolest looking monster in the whole movie was the the robotic bruce campbell they, they shoot it and they destroy it pretty quickly and then you see it on the ground i think that was the coolest one and that was the coolest like shot that was the coolest coolest little scene in my opinion of the whole movie agreed agreed yeah good 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 timing they put their suits on in this scene because they would have died if they hadn't 
Yeah, exactly. It's it that was yeah, that was so like incredibly like you just have to do this for this reason and there's it's only a movie reason, not a, like an actual real life reason, you know. They they simply took their outfits on to off to to bang and then they were back in the action. And that's why that's why the scene in her nudity is exploitative because exactly. there was absolutely zero plot movement for that like there was no reason story-wise for that to happen hence why it's basically exploitation um (laughs) they after they destroy the the tanner monster and they're looking at it uh the two of the giant robots sneak up behind them basically knock them out pick them up this time don't crush them like they did tanner they handle them with much more care and uh they kind of like do a shot where the two robots rise up and you see earth there and now now we cut to the alien ship is leaving the moon and heading for earth we are in our subpar third act so <laughs> so Grant yeah when it picks Mira, them up they, it, pick, it picks them up by the way like cradles them like little babies so it's yeah and again yeah. it's they're like little dolls that they pick it's really funny they it learned its lesson from from crushing tanner like oh no these things are delicate we need to handle them with much more care this time we need this. um yeah, but we uh, – so Tanner – I'm sorry, Grant and Mira are alive on the ship, and they're kind of like chained to a wall, and things are about to get a little bit more exploitative again, but not as far as they could have gone. Um, around them, you know, Grant's kind of like looking around, and he sees like body parts are kind of like in jars and stuff, and he's like, oh, my God, I know what we are. We're spare parts. Spare. And that was – Parts. I'm like, oh man. Yeah, and you said, you know, this is supposed to be like the big revelation, the big like turning point. But I think we already kind of gathered that. Oh, they a, use it in the viewer. trailer. The trailer to the movie has yeah. has it. And 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 if you, this is the scene, you look closely on his face. He's got like little whiskers glued on his face. And you wonder if this is if that's because they're like, uh, uh, you know, uh, what was I going to say? It makes you wonder if, if if they filmed it differently and he didn't, you know, grow his mustache. I don't know. Like you wonder if, if, if that was an issue. But why didn't they just yeah. keep him clean shaved the entire time? That was my my wonderment because they kept Bruce Campbell's lack of sideburns the whole time. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like like weeks have passed in this movie. Like it seems like things are moving pretty quickly. That why would they even grow the stubble? But yeah. Look, I don't know. Whatever. I've been to space quite a few times, and the amount of time it takes to get up to space, you're not going to grow a beard. So no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I know. I, I know what I'm talking about, folks. <laughs> of course, you're you're an authority on on space <laughs> yeah. travel. And all things I'm also space an travel. authority on. <laughs> Apparently, when someone dies, you're supposed to pop a tent and bang afterwards. So, yeah, well, dude, when, you, when, you, when your best uh, friend dies, you're supposed to pop a tent and bang. That's, <laughs> dude, that's what I'm going to do when you die, buddy. I'm going <laughs> to pop a tent and go have sex with the Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> there, <laughs> place your bets, folks. Who dies first? When we're both a hundred years old and we've lived long and full lives. Hey, I hope both of us pull a, a Kirk Douglas. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so another uh, another alien drops out of the ceiling. This one also designed very well. Very cool. Uh, it, yes. it looks different. It looks like it's a, a surgeon one or something. Yeah. But I like all the different alien designs in this movie. I like that they they didn't cheap out on that. They they didn't they put the budget into the different monsters and how they looked. Yeah, they look good. Yeah, they do. They do. And this one looks really good, too. I I like this one a lot. So (laughs) the creature starts basically 
cutting the clothes off of Mira and like it kind of like cuts her too but it's like he's cutting off like little shredding off little pieces and you think that they're gonna go full Monty and have her her breasts exposed again but they do not thankfully probably for her and they, for yeah they got <laughs> into the side boob they started to get into the side boob category they were starting to and I'm starting like, oh, to what's going on here yeah yeah you think that they're going to go full-on exploitation in this scene but they don't so and i think better for them you know props to them for <laughs> yeah, not sure. stepping into <laughs> into that quagmire <laughs> guys i talked to my lawyer and she, he said that okay fine we won't do the scene just shut up so we can yeah. make this thing you like my you like my producer my producer take it's like a Vince McMahon. Yeah. Uh, I picture all producers to be Vince McMahon. <laughs> Just do the goddamn thing. What's the matter with you? Yeah. And so <laughs> Grant, uh, he basically wiggles his way out of the shackles because his wrists are kind of bleeding. So he kind of – I think that's kind of cool. He uses the, the blood as lubricant to kind of get his one wrist out Ooh, and yeah. then you know pops the other one out. Then his he kind of wrists. scurries – and he scurries around the robot, and the robot's like, doesn't give a shit. It's like, okay, whatever. Which I was like, okay, you'd think that the robot would care a little bit, but it doesn't. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's 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 okay. It's like maybe they could have inserted some humor there. I don't know. But he pulls out something and beats the robot to death with, thus you know saving Mira and unhooking her from her chains and everything, and now they're both free. And he kind of looks up. These tubes, these wires, it was the what the the robot was kind of attached to and from the ceiling kind of dropped down on. And he's like, that's our way out. We'll, we're going to go up there. And they cut to now back on Earth. Another space shuttle is basically taking off. So, you know, they, they, ha- you, they have a contingency plan, I, I guess, is what you're supposed to infer about yeah. this. And on the space shuttle, there's a, a guy and a girl. Uh, the lady has some crazy wicked teeth if if you've noticed the actress <laughs> every she time she opens weird her mouth. expressions too dude i'm like what's yeah. going on with her face I, the whole time I was absolutely just intrigued by her. I was like looking at her and I was like, why is she making all these weird mouth motions? Then you realize it's because her upper teeth are really crazy. And I'm like, all right, all right, good. Yeah, cool. Not, not shitting on you. Just you make some weird facial expressions. That's all. <laughs> I said that to um, Diallo. I'm like, Diallo, why is her face is her face frozen like that? Yeah, it's, it was really weird. And maybe it's also the camera angle is like upwards like or looking down on her. Yeah. It was it, it was not flattering, I should say, to the to the actress, unfortunately. It's not sexy, Jack. <laughs> it's just not sexy. Yeah. Uh, back in the ship, Grant and Mira are kind of climbing up those, those wires. They have their spacesuits on, and they're in the middle of the ship, essentially, and it's zero gravity. That's why they have no problem sort of climbing up there. Uh, Grant gets off and kind of floats away. Mira is a little bit hesitant, but she eventually does it. And they're basically both floating through the center of the ship. And they're just looking around and you see thousands of eggs and you realize it's like, it's an evasion force is what they're trying to do. Uh, They cut to the other space shuttle is basically en route to the alien ship. And then you cut back. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, at this scene, there's a lot of back and forth cutting and, uh, Grant and Mira see see the lunar lander has been attached to the inside of the alien ship. And he, he basically, Grant realizes that 
oh, they've been waiting for this lunar lander to come back. Like, this is their key yeah. to get uh, off of the moon and come towards Earth. They don't ever explain why, like, what it is that the technology-wise that the, that the aliens needed in the lander, but it makes... The opening scene makes sense now because as the eyeball watched the lander fly away in 69, you now know that they've been waiting for us to come back. And that also is the name of the movie, Moon Trap. The trap is that we never should have gone back to the moon, but by doing so, the trap is we gave them the key to get back to Earth. Wow, that was really you know, and I'm just gonna, that you gave it way. That's a shit ton of credit you just gave this movie. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm sure the director's like, oh yeah, he totally gets me now. He totally gets me now. <laughs> I I had to put on my hardware cap to to dig deep into that one. <laughs> Look, man, no, it's all good. It works. It works. It explain. Yeah, uh, Diallo said this is a better this is a better backstory. Uh, kind of origin story for the Decepticons than what Michael Bay did with uh, Transformers. So, yeah, you know what? Uh, you're not wrong. It, it, this, this could almost be a backdoor pilot for the Transformers movie <laughs> it, it, or sort of in the way, remember that movie, um, that movie life that came out like end of 2018, early 2019 had Jake yeah, Gyllenhaal in it. it. I wanted to see it. Never saw it. It was actually, it was actually interesting, but there was this internet, thing conspiracy that happened before the movie came out that people thought it was actually like a backdoor um prequel to the venom movie because that the creature that the life creature in it was venom which would have been really really cool but that that literally that internet conspiracy got so big that like people from the movie like directors had to make the video saying yeah we like that idea guys like before the movie even came out they're like we like that idea but don't go into the movie thinking that's the case because that's not it oh, that's funny. <laughs> but, but we like it that's neat thank you for thinking about us yeah uh, but yeah this this kind of works as sort of a backdoor pilot for transformers yeah for real in the cross-cutting, you find out that the space shuttle has missiles armed on it. Um, okay, cool. So they're going to blow up the spaceship if need, need be. It's their secondary sort of you know backup contingency plan, NASA's contingency plan. Never saw uh, those, back- though, by the way. No, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't. They, didn't. they didn't change the miniature that they used from the beginning, the space yeah. shuttle miniature at all. It's, they used the same one. So back in the spaceship, uh, Grant finds out that the since the lander's intact, the quote-unquote package is also still intact, which is a bomb. And, uh, you know, so by him turning the bomb on, also turns on the lander, which Houston finds out, you know, oh, hey, the lander's turned on. Maybe Grant and Tanner are still alive. Don't shoot unless you have to. You know, they're telling the, the space shuttle people. Then on um, the spaceship, one of the eggs sort of comes to life and attacks uh, Grant, I'm sorry. Let me let me backpedal real quick. Grant turns on the the bomb. The bomb's counting down. Grant and Mirror are kind of resigned to their fate. They're like, okay, we're just gonna die. Nothing you can do about it. When the egg attacks Grant, he shoots it with his machine gun. It propels them backwards. Grant's like, oh, I got an idea. So he basically has Mirror on his back and he's firing and then flying backwards and they fly out of the hole of the the you know the sort of constructed fully constructed vessel but there's some parts you can tell it's not fully constructed so there's holes in it and so they fly out of the ship towards the space shuttle which 
which is guys, if you've seen enough space movies to know that that having your odds of of trajectory to actually land on that space shuttle backwards are a bazillion to 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 none. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you're off by a hair, you would have wound up in in Earth's orbit, burning up. But whatever, they don't care at this moment because there's only five minutes left in the movie. And Grant and Mira fly backwards. The space shuttle's kind of behind them, you know. And then the the alien ship explodes courtesy of the bomb on the rover or on the lander inside of it terrible explosion terrible special effects all around on on this in the space shuttle you know yeah. you, you can tell where they put their where they put their budget into it and the the, the, the explosion is terrible uh it's a very lackluster climax uh unfortunately and uh let me let me just run through this last this little epilogue and then we can just dive into full-on conversations um then back on earth we get they don't even show like grant and mira getting pulled into the space shuttle they just that's it they just cuts right back to earth mira <laughs> is wearing saved. like a yeah they're saved it's all good mira's wearing a 1989 fancy dress that is so 80s it's it's impossible well, and she's got and, diamond uh, diamond earrings and diamond necklace yep. she, she looks like I mean, a male order russian bride i swear to god like he's she like does. i found her i found her online she's great she's perfect she loves me she loves me for everything i am and i love the fact that we you know we don't know how much time has passed you know she's with walter koenig she's with grant and you know i mean she's just on earth like she would, she would be under quarantine you know yeah. she would be studied because who knows like what kind of like diseases she carries she's space a fucking herpes, alien dude space herpes well well, she's not an alien, but she is a 14,000-year-old human. Is she so, a 14,000-year-old human or a 14,000-year-old alien, like creature? I t- my takeaway from this entire movie is that she w- she's from Earth and that that basically there was a civilization on Earth that had reached, you know, spacefaring okay. and then it ended, you know, and then Earth basically had to re-evolve again, but these people on space were in hyper cuz it's she's been there for 14,000 years. So Fair I took enough. it that she's from Earth originally. Okay. There's a little bit of dialogue about a falling star. Yeah, she took hooked on phonics. Yeah, exactly. She she's 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 kind of already able to speak now and it's like okay cool that's neat you know they're communicating they're talking and then you uh you cut away to this construction like a a junkyard and the implication is that this is where that shooting star sort of landed and in the junkyard is one of those eggs the egg pops open and you start hearing the, the noise and everything. So you know that it's constructing something, probably a Decepticon. Yep, a Constructicon. A Constructicon. Good one, buddy. And that's it. That's Moontrap. That is Moon Train, guys and gals. <laughs> Zach, t- tell us, what'd you think of it, buddy? I, look, I enjoyed it on the, on the schlock level uh, this time around. Definitely did not remember. I, I I think I watched this movie twice when I was a kid and I don't remember any of these elements <laughs> watching it this time <laughs> around. Like, wow, this was absurdly worse than I thought it would be. Uh, but in, in, but in a playful kind of fun way, uh, you know, overall, like, I, I applaud the efforts of all the people involved and <laughs> man, shit. Like if someone told, you know, uh, Booger, man, shit. <laughs> man, shit, man. Look, if someone told Booger from Revenge of the Nerds, you gonna be, a, you gotta be a leading man. Then uh, you know what? Then, let him, let him run with it. Like, of course, he'd want to try it. Walter Koenig is, uh, 
you know, he's, he was Chekhov for a reason and Kirk was Kirk for a reason. Like they, they, they filled yeah. the suit. He just, he, it just didn't work for me. And, and so at Bruce Campbell, yeah, Bruce Campbell was way over the top too cartoonish for a movie that was not trying to be cartoonish. And, uh, he's like pulling a Jim Carrey mask in, you know, in, in like <laughs> yeah. fucking 2001. So, yeah, elements of it I thought were enjoyable. It's enjoyable enough to definitely watch. I highly recommend people watch this movie at least once. Just take it in. Take it in. Take it in. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, I, I think it's kind of fun. I think that you should absolutely check it out at least once. Um, I do put the the caveat to that is please don't spend any more than $10 on this thing. <laughs> Did you spend more than $10 on this thing? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I mean, I had my own copy, so I didn't have to like buy two copies. So I just oh. sent you yours. Oh. But uh, it was not that expensive. I think it was only $13, which is a that's a real sweet spot. I think it's worth it for that, especially if you're a Bruce Campbell fan and you have never seen this movie. It's worth checking out. I think because it's fun to show other people like, oh, you want to see Bruce Campbell zany like way before he became hugely popular? Check this thing out. And, you know, like you said, it gets it gets a lot of A's for effort. There's there's a lot of fun to be had here. I think it has some interesting concepts that don't get quite played out in, in in the way that they maybe should but they tried and i do feel like the writer tapped into some ancient astronaut stuff tapped into things that i dig and that like adult Corey uh digs and saw and I'm, okay i was like yeah i get it that's that's you're you're referencing kind of like the black knight satellite oh i get that you're referencing ancient astronauts and i guess i i liked all those kind of things i liked the way the aliens looked i enjoyed that but like there's a lot of crap in this movie. And <laughs> thankfully, thankfully for the most part, the crap, when it is crappy, it's fun crappy. You know, we've, ta- we've seen in plenty of movies where it's crappy, but it's just crappy and you can't really take away any enjoyment from it. In this, I think in this movie, the, the, the fun comes from its zany crappiness, and which this is, is mostly Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I'm going to call this frap. Fun, fun crap. Fun crap. Oh, I like that, dude. It's, it's, a, it's a frappuccino. Well, I was going to tell you, um, on a $2 late fee, Dustin and I coined the phrase, uh, for a movie that we love, but, uh, but it's, it's terrible. We call it a masterpiece. Ah, oh, I, I like that one. You guys keep the masterpiece. We keep Frappuccino and then we can kind of just, uh, <laughs> we'll know. So like, if you make the reference to us, we'll know which podcast you're, like you're, this. you're talking about. See? I See, love yeah. it. Frappuccino. <laughs> Frappuccino. I like that. Yeah, this is definitely a frappuccino. This is this is fun crap. This is definitely fun crap. So yeah, my guys, gals, I'm sure that you listened to this episode without actually watching the movie. I'd say go back and watch it. Try to check it out. I think it's fun. I, I think it's worth having in your collection as like labeled a piece of crap. Like it's not in your collection because it's good. It's in your collection because this is a piece of crap and this is what you kind of shouldn't do in some regards, but it's still fun. And that's uh that's Moontrap, aka Moon Train. <laughs> I never have to watch this movie again. <laughs> oh, Zach, where can we find you, my friend, out there in the cyberspace? Oh, find me on Zach Schaefer on Instagram, Zach Schaefer, and my podcast, two dollar late fee.com. 
my my the sister to this mister and uh <laughs> it's a, a trip down memory lane 80s retro style uh very nostalgia in a in, in all the all the positive feels um yeah, two dollar late fee yeah. and Zach Schaefer. Yes, yes, two dollar late fee is is awesome. I I say it every episode, and I will continue to say it because I personally love it. And uh, while they while you guys talk about movies like Fast Fast Times at Ridgemont High, we at Podcast After Dark talk about movies like Moon Trap. So oh, that wow. right there tells you what the difference is between the two podcasts. Oh man, but I love it. I love it. I love both of them just just as much. Thanks. Me too. You can uh, you can find me on uh, Jesus, guys. You can find me on Instagram at Corey Nation, and you can find me on a lot of podcasts on the Blast from Our Past Network. You can find me on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, ongoing comic book discussion podcast with our buddy Tess, and then occasionally on a few episodes of um, Blast from Our Past, and as well as an upcoming episode of Talking Back. I I just have to get on our sixth pod network podcast friday five and then i will have been on all of them as as some some way shape or form but uh if you guys if you guys like what you hear uh you can go check out our network website and you can find all the podcasts that i just mentioned that's www.bfopnetwork.com and the link is in the show notes and uh guys if you like what we do here what zach and i do on podcasting after dark then uh we have a whole lot more to offer over on patreon we have every month we have an extra show called wrap up after dark where zach and i kind of have a a free form discussion which because we don't really get to have that on this show. It's very structured based on on our uh, on the movie and everything. So over there, we get to have a much more like, what you've been watching? What what do you recommend if you if you want to hear like what we've been listening to lately or any movies we we yeah. sort of recommend? We talk about all that kind of stuff over on Wrap Up After Dark, which is a lot of fun. I love talking to Zach, uh, sort of freeform, because we don't really get a chance to to do it too much. It almost takes place of like a a phone call because uh, we're so busy usually during throughout the week <laughs> and you like us so much you want to listen to us talk about random stuff come on yeah it's fun random stuff yeah. and uh we also have but our, our meat and potatoes over there is our series called interviews after dark where we have talked to directors like brian usna we've talked to actors like tom matthews and uh, stephen jeffries and zach ward we talked to the longtime editor of fangoria magazine tony timpone he, during the 80s he is to blame for me uh, loving this movie because he <laughs> covered it on fangoria so like like and i mean as cool as everyone is the 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 interview that i recommend the most is the tony timpone interview he is such a wealth of of horror knowledge it's insane yeah we're gonna have to have him back on the show yeah we are we are and we have a a really exciting guest that we are going to be interviewing in a couple days from recording now. I don't want to say it because I don't want to jinx it because there's always that possibility. But by the time you hear this, we would have already done that interview. And it's a big one, guys, especially for me. It's 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 as as someone I'll give you a little hint as someone whose favorite movie is Aliens. This interview is huge for me so yeah be on the lookout for that and uh you know all proceeds 
that you guys give to Patreon, all the support that you give to Patreon just goes right back into the show. Uh, us, you know, gear, server fees, all that kind of stuff, all the the, the costs of running this podcast. Uh, Zach has to rent studio space uh, to do the interviews and stuff like that. So, you know, all the, all the little fees that, that sort of add up. And we really appreciate everyone that already donates. It's, it's because of you all that the show, you know, keeps going on. And right. in 2020, our goal is to become more mobile. And we can only do that with your help. We would like to start getting to some conventions. We would start getting some merch made and all that kind of stuff. And we really are going to kind of do that as fast as uh, the, 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 you know, financially we are allowed to. So we're excited to grow and we're going to grow basically as fast as, as you guys want us to. And, uh, and, and if you can't spend the money on the Patreon, no big deal, not a big deal at all. If you do have a couple seconds to please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and, and a little write-up, that is a great way to support the show and just really helps you know new new listeners. You know, it really helps us get in front of new listeners and everything, yeah. and we really appreciate all the five-star reviews that you guys have given us. So far, it's just been five-star reviews, and we have like 30-plus. Dude, I'm I'm blown away. I I, I think it's amazing. This, this you know sometimes I feel like we're we're kind of shouting into the void, and I, you know I know that everyone we get good communication on Instagram and stuff, but you know sometimes it just feels like you're sort of shouting into the void. So it's really nice to hear that you guys are really really digging this show. And thank you guys for all the support. And as Mark Wahlberg said in Boogie Nights, we're gonna keep rocking and rolling. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit. Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.